you're listening to another Type 40 Live Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook. Audio editions of our video content originally streamed to YouTube and other platforms. A quick reminder, this is recorded completely live and we interact with viewers across those platforms in real time. The occasional detail may get lost in translation, we're working on that, and the odd swear word may pass one or more of our lips, so this show may not be suitable for the under-15s. Now that's all straight. Let's start the show. back to type 40 live here in our uh, new home still new still new after two weeks still uh, yes it's still our new home on a thursday evening at 8 p.m uk time and whatever time zone or time stream that you're joining us from all over the world or in uh, maybe a couple of other worlds welcome back i'm dan hadley birmingham's king of the geeks and i'm steering the uh, Type 40 for the next couple of hours. Got some friends to bring on. As always, we're a little bit buzzing backstage, I have to say, because of the return of uh, four other time travellers, it seems, from the 1970s. I'm talking about uh, two uh, two blondes and uh, two brunettes with, well, they used to have beards. I don't know how they look now. But yes, ABBA are back, everybody. We're going to get into that in a little moment. Believe it or not, some real time travel there with ABBA. How are you? What, who have we got? Who's with us? Oh, a packed chat. Thanks for being here, everybody. Garbage. Bit of feedback here from Garbage, who says uh, says hi, and they're loving the uh, loving the time slot. Great time slot. So much better. Thank you, Garbage. Evening. Says Wendology with her headphones on. There, good to see you too, Wendology. Lord Nymon. Greetings, humans. Nice to have you here. Oh, Horned One. Alan uh, Alan Collins says, uh, this type really isn't my 40. Ho, 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 ho. <laughs> you can see the level of gags. They, they're not really any better coming from us. We can't really judge, can we, with uh, some of the stuff that we come out with. Hello, Dan, says Richard Brooks. And uh, who's this? <laughs> Garbage ads uh, by Jody. By celebrate. Yes, we're still celebrating. The celebrations will continue until series uh, 13 starts, I expect. But yeah, talking about celebrations, some of us are buzzing with this musical news that's been, that's broken in the last uh, couple of hours, I think. So uh, let's bring him in now. It's our friend JT. So what he's got to say. 
Hi, Space Bookers. How is everybody? Oh, it's so exciting, isn't it? Hello, mate. I'm excited. Yeah, genuine time travel. Yeah. It, it is so genuine time travel. <laughs> I have pre-ordered the standard edition album. I have pre-ordered the deluxe edition album. I have pre-ordered yes. the CD singles, which I haven't seen CD singles for years. So I'm so excited for oh, the CD singles. I'm uh, yeah, and I've pre-registered for all the information about the concert in London. So I, I, I am really excited. I am really, really excited <laughs> today. <laughs> Got to get it all out of our system, all out of our system. <sighs> and I think and I can buy somebody else. Yeah, I think I can buy somebody else who's buzzing. Yeah, we've got to bring in Simon Horton as well, haven't we? Yeah! Hiya, Simon. <laughs> 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 I'm in my 70s glamtastic gear because I couldn't be more excited about ABBA coming back. Did you watch the live stream? It was phenomenal. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. I'm still fainting. Wow, that was just phenomenal. I know. It's just, it's, it's really, really unbelievable that this has happened. You know, where they've put all this yeah. together. Obviously, they've waited for it. They were supposed to do it last year. They put it all back now. We've got yeah. a 10 track brand new album coming with brand new Yay! songs. A concert to go to, oh, which is which is holographic apparently. So that's going to be interesting. Oh, it's, it's just, just I, I still you've got to pinch yourself today. Oh my, oh my God, this is amazing, garbage and it's a greatest dance I'm, concert. I'm still garbage really this jacket to answer garbage. No, this jacket isn't it there. I'm wearing it because it's Abba Day, as far as I'm concerned. It is Abba Day all day long. <laughs> I don't, don't know about Listen, I don't know about Abba Day. I think you look a little bit like David Van Day from uh, from Dollar. <laughs> from Dollar. You know, I love Dollar. Everybody knows I love my music as much as I love my doctor. I love Dollar, so I'll take David Van Day as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Collins adds that I want Hartnell or Trenton back as holograms. Be careful what you wish for. Technology mm -hmm. and science, it's all evolving. Entertainment is evolving, isn't it? Definitely. Let's see. Uh, are you a music lover as well, Charlotte, by the way? Yeah, I do like my album, mainly because of the musical. That's how I sort of knew the songs. Oh, yeah. And then I went back. And a good, um, yeah. a few, like, all-inclusive shows in Tenerife on holiday. You'd always get an ABBA, like, tribute act. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's the law. It's, it's, it is, isn't it? <laughs> it when I found when, when I found out a week ago that there was a big ABBA announcement tonight, I was thinking, okay, if this clashes with Live Type 40, I'm not going to be doing Live Type 40. I'm going to be watching the ABBA launch. I'm sorry. I won't Dan, Dan, you've been replaced. You've been replaced. You would have been. I mean, obviously, I'm too young to remember ABBA the first time. Obviously. We all are. <laughs> if, you if you believe that bullshit, you'll believe anything. But, yeah, it's, it's incredibly exciting. But, uh, yeah, music, of course, uh, generally speaking, music is uh, – I'd say quite a personal thing. You know, not everybody gets it where Abba's concerned. And believe it or not, everybody, not everybody gets it where Doctor Who's concerned. I saw this this week. This is the first of our stories I wanted to speak to you guys about. So let's get this up on screen. Let's get this bombshell up on screen. Now, I would argue that Doctor Who has the greatest TV theme tune of all time. I, what do you think? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. it's instantly recognisable. It's it's a cult. It's a it's a British institution. Yeah, uh, although they have messed around with it incredibly over the last yeah. god knows how many years to the point where it's written. Cool. <laughs> the core theme tune as composed yes. by Ron Gray, the original, yeah. arranged originally by Delia Derbyshire, and then done lots of versions since. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But you know, it's still <laughs> the Doctor Who theme tune. Everybody recognises it. Everybody loves it. Hmm. And I seriously can't think of many contenders that would that could come anywhere close to it for cultural relevance 
or for conjuring up Charlotte, the, the images of the show, even if you hear it out and about or, or, or whatever, you could just got it on your, uh, on your playlist or back in the day on vinyl or whatever, you know, it, it speaks volumes of its own. But somebody should really tell, somebody should have a word with Classic <laughs> FM because this week they've done oh, yes. a poll in conjunction with the Radio Times to find and declare who had or has the best theme tune in TV history. Now, mm -hmm. I heard about this, saw the link start to pop up, and oh, Doctor Who will have aced that. No contest. And then I saw this, that Doctor Who was actually polling at number 13. 13? Yep. 13, Not even top 10. everybody. Mm -hmm. Absolutely outrageous. There, now, at first, I, when I first saw the graphic, I thought, is that a three? But no, I clocked the one before it. I thought, that can't be right. But no, my eyes weren't deceiving me. Number 13. So how can this possibly be? There is no way there are 12 theme tunes that are better than the Doctor Who theme tune. So I had to do a little bit of investigation. But let's uh, let's bring on the uh, the mega geek and see what he's got to say about this. What do you think about these jokers then, Ian? Number 13 <laughs> for, the doc for the Doctor Who theme tune. I don't know. I guess, I guess, yeah, why not? I, I, I mean, Doctor <laughs> Who theme's great, but there are so many other good ones as well, isn't there? You know, so. it shows you, it, yeah. it could show you where it is because this poll went through the public and it could show you where Doctor Who actually sits now with the public. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should look at it that way because if you look at what was number one and you look how high Downton was with that beautiful score from Downton. Wow. And when number one what came out, and because I was listening to it, number one was, I thought, oh, that actually makes sense well, we're for... Gonna look, we're going to take a look now. We're going to take a look now at where... So, okay, if Doctor Who is at number 13, there are several theme tunes which one could consider its equal. You know, for example, uh, The Simpsons or The Twilight Zone or, or Star Trek. These, these big shows with big themes that everybody recognises. So I was very keen to see who the Radio Times had decided were... The uh, the ones that are above Inspector so, Morse polling at God, number that's one. so dull. Oh, it's classical though. It's Inspector Morse. So we see we can see Doctor Who here. Well, we won't be able to when I turn this off. We there can you are. see Doctor <laughs> Who there. We can see Doctor Who there, right at the at the bottom, number thirteen there, and uh, yeah. In the top spot is Inspector Morse. Now, I love a bit of Inspector Morse, but I, I struggle to remember what the theme tune was like. And you think, well, what are the other, what are the other ones that fill, that, uh, fill in the other slots? Well, what, yeah, what about Wolf Hall, Band of Brothers? I don't know what, how those go. Game of Thrones, I don't Nobody know how those themes does. go. Nobody does. The only one I can think of here that really is, well, actually, there's two. I'd say Game of Thrones is a, is a memorable theme tune and really distinctive. And, oh. the other, and the other one would be Van der Volk. The, yeah, uh, Van der because that has I didn't need in mind, to be fair. I went, I went to number one, Van der Volk, didn't it? The uh, yeah, the, it was the, exactly it was a number one yeah. hit record in well remembered, so mm. yeah. but yeah, <laughs> what was the other one you were just you just mentioned? There, the Eden line, the Eden line that's very, very memorable, but no, yeah, but the, the episode of the Eden line for 40 years, JT. <laughs> but, but, but the Eden line is a piece of classical music anyway, and this is that's classic true. FM and the classic yeah. FM mm. listeners, yeah, and true. you know, I mean, it was the BBC took. This piece of classical music put there. When it comes to uh, you know Wolf Hall, uh, garbage was asking there what Wolf Hall. Wolf Hall was a drama which also had this sort of Elizabethan classical style feel to it. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm. What was the theme for Blue Planet Two? Uh, again, orchestral. So hold on, is it just classical music that's themes to TV shows? This is, is it? Is that what it was it's a, because it was Doctor Who got classical of, music? 
No, it was I a bank holiday. Game of Thrones isn't classical. Yeah. It's just memorable. I think Game of Thrones it was, doesn't fit either. And neither is Downton, I don't think. Sure. I want to buy the Persuaders. Persuaders has, has got a great theme by, by John Barry. Why isn't yeah. that in there? This was, I mean? this was, well, it was, it was, it was, it was a hundred of them. It, did, oh. did a, it was a bank holiday special that Classic Listen, FM broadcast I on Monday. Care, I don't care what comes in positions 14 and down. <laughs> it was actually very, it was very, it was quite fun, you know. It was interesting, but when I when when Doctor Who came up at number thirteen, yeah, I was surprised, and then I wasn't very quickly because it just showed again the, the public consciousness. Is that all British stuff? Is it all British theme yeah. for British shows? Is it? No, uh, no, there were a couple of American ones in, like right. you, you got your Game of Thrones in there, and a couple of other things that were there. But it was mainly a mix of either shows that had used classical music or had done orchestration theme to no, music right. or there was a I variation of an orchestration i'm mm. with da uh, jamie pring sorry jamie's watching over on youtube the theme tune to minder is uh drunk karaoke <laughs> that should definitely be in the top 10 simon for one but let's be honest when when when, yeah. when, uh, when, when it's sung on the th on the television show itself it sounds like drunk karaoke blessing by Dennis yeah, yeah yeah you're right you're right simon it does right. yeah. The, the, yeah. I, the idea i'm still sticking with my original diagnosis i think even if you're looking at classical stuff or things with classical strings that doctor mm. who should still really be number one sort yourselves out radio times sort yourselves out classic fn this is an absolute national disgrace and <laughs> I, I do i do wonder i do wonder in all joking apart five or six years ago i i think that doctor who would have certainly been a lot higher up uh maybe maybe game of thrones would have been higher still because that's another show that has suffered a decline in popularity. That is unarguable. But yeah, a little bit of fun there at the expense of uh, of Classic FM. I've... I love Classic FM, by the way. I really like Classic FM. I'm not having a bad word said about them. Stop it. <laughs> You've been told. <laughs> well, yeah. That's so. Yes. Let us know what you think if you agree with that poll maybe we've got it all wrong maybe you agree with jt and you think it's a fair one or maybe you think maybe you're going to target them go and tweet at classic fm tell them we need a recount and we need it now like and the jody whittaker fans always want a recount the jody whittaker fans always say oh we're gonna have a reach she's the number one <laughs> yes unlucky 13 seems to be plaguing doctor who at the moment says dr blaze i don't know yeah. dr blaze that's a nice picture isn't it it's a good picture that other great theme tunes. We've got Joe Ninety here from uh, from Barry Gray. Joe Ninety, Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds, I, I go. To, I used to get called Joe Ninety when I was at school. People used to call me Joe. Oh, Ninety. Gosh, what a surprise! Why? <laughs> Wow, that's I don't have a clue what that is. So. Oh, shut up! You're just too young. Showing off. Yeah, it was merch. like it was like it was. Uh, it came before Thunderbirds. <laughs> Captain yeah. Scarlet, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was <laughs> around, well, yeah. around, 19, Bobby, around 1969. That was Bobby. Bobby. Bobby D75 mentions my favourite one, the Tomorrow People thing. That's that's, oh, that's, a, that's a good thing. That's number that's one. A good thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. None of them, even even that can't can't possibly touch, <laughs> yeah. can't possibly touch Doctor Who. Uh, yeah, we have. Yes, so. What I remember, if you've been here and listened to this already, listen to all our waffle there about the theme tunes <laughs> and ABBA and whatever else, and you're, still, and you're still here, then you must Rude. like what you hear. <laughs> like the video while you're here, whilst I remember, like the video, subscribe to the channel because we do these live streams now every week, 8 p.m. Do we? Some of, some of it's even about Doctor Who, everybody. Yes, 8 p.m. every Thursday evening. Like the video, subscribe to the channel, and hit that cloister bell so you get the notifications about when we go live 
next. And what have we got for you next? Because yeah, we've got a couple of guests on the show this week. We're about to bring them in. About to bring them in now. So who shall I start with? Yes. This, so this gentleman. If any of you have ever heard the incredible fan audio series Doctor Who: The Final Game, which I think started release around two years ago, there was six parts all in all that uh, brought that finally sort of brought to reality that final third Doctor encounter with Roger Delgado's master. So that's the uh, notorious, I suppose, missing story that was going to originally top off the John Pertwee era. But of course, the death of Roger Delgado meant that couldn't happen. And we got Planet of the Spiders instead. Well, this gentleman, he worked very, very hard to assemble the story, to assemble a voice cast and bring it to all areas. It's available to listen to on YouTube at the moment, and he's got several other projects on the starting grid. Here to tell us all about them, it's Chris, it's, uh, Chris McKeon from Black Love Studio. Woo! Hi, Chris. Hello. Hello. Nice to speak to you again. Thank you so much. Can you hear me? I know you had some problem with my microphone. Yeah. We can okay. hear you. Yes, we can hear you. So, yes, welcome back to Type 40 live this time. We're live on YouTube, which is the world's largest streaming platform, as I'm sure that you know, and over <laughs> onto Facebook too, with all our friends there in the Type 40 Facebook group. So, yeah, when we last spoke, you'd completed the final game. It was out. People were loving it. But you've got several new projects that you want to tell us about, haven't you? But there's one in particular that you need a little help from the Doctor Who community to make happen. And it's connected, isn't it, with a couple of Doctor Who legends, I think it's fair to say. Absolute standout legends. Gonna get them on gonna get them on screen if I can. Have I got the got the picture? Okay, yes. Uh, no, I haven't got it. Hold on a moment. Yeah, give me one moment. So yeah, you you told me about this project it's going well, a isn't it? Ago. You told me about this project a little while ago, and yes. I found it difficult to to imagine what you had in mind and how that you how you were going to get there. And I I, I question not your sanity as such, but the ambition of the piece. But it, yes, it involves it involves these two Doctor Who legends. We're talking about Sarah Jane Smith, as originally played by the late Elizabeth Sladen, and Brigadier Alastair Gordon Lethbridge Stewart, the late great Nicholas Courtney. Now they both passed away ten years ago, didn't they, Chris? So what yes. is it you've got a mind to do now to to uh, mark this to commemorate them? Well, um, since they're passing, I wanted to do something. Um, as a as a longtime lifelong Doctor Who fan and growing up with the classic and the new series really pretty much the same time and growing up with the Sarah Jane Adventures and uh, which was Elizabeth Sladen's spinoff as with her as Sarah Jane Smith in the lead when they yes. died pretty much at the same time that really kind of closed off an era of Doctor Who at least it felt that way but there was the added mm -hmm. blow in that Nicholas Courtney as probably a lot of people here know was supposed to be in an episode of the Sarah Jane Adventures called The Wedding of Sarah Jane Smith back in 2009, uh -huh. where he was going to meet with David Tennant's 10th Doctor. Nicholas Courtney appeared, of course, in a previous episode of that series. So we got to see him, but only with Sarah Jane, not with the Doctor. And he's more associated with the Doctor. So um, I wanted to do something about that uh, loss. And what you said, you know, the, the scale, the ambition, you know, you think about it, I think, what can you do? Uh, you could make a poster, you can make a, write a book or something, but what would feel yeah. right? What feels up to the challenge or up to, up to the scale of that series? What feels correct? And I decided uh, about two years ago to um, 
um, film with uh, not 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 in the sense of um, um, animation, but actually film the the brigadier scenes that were cut from the wedding of Sarah Jane Smith with new actors and costumes and such, but using professional equipment and and such to uh, bring this about. And as you can see in the photo here, we did. This is a photo of um, two of the actors involved in the story. On the right is Kendall Whitesides. He plays David Tennant's doctor. And the left in the photo is a man named David Lane, who plays the brigadier. And uh, you can see in the photograph, too, this is important, at the kind of the corners, the, those cameras. That, that's a black magic uh, film camera. You've got two. We have two, yeah. Yep. Wow. We, got, we use black magic cameras. So film uh, industry standard cameras. Yeah. We used, we used a green screen studio. You can see there. That's and an impressive green screen studio as well. That's it good. was. Uh, uh, I will say it was It was one of, the little, one of the many miracles of getting this project off the ground because uh, this was filmed in the city of Orem, Utah. I'm from California, but I was going to school in, in Utah at the time. And, uh, and I toured several studios, green screen studios, you know, as candidates. So can we film here? And there were many, there were several studios that were nice, but they were, the green screen might've been seven feet high or something, just a, like a wall. And there were other, and there was part of a set that you couldn't move. This, you can't see it from the yeah, scale, yeah. but that's a 30 foot high green screen. Yeah. Right? So, and we needed those shots. There's some of the shots and cause we, the whole idea was to film these scenes so that it could be composited into the original footage. So there are some shots well, that are from a high angle. Of course, you can't, again, you can't see it in this photograph, but we had a, there was a large stand, maybe a 40 foot stand in that, uh, in that studio. And so you could make, we could make all the shots. This is a photo of, um, this is a photo, of course, of one of the scenes that was added that, uh, and there's a story behind this, I should say, that would probably would not have been part of the original script, but it's a scene with the brigadier and uh, the woman behind him is a lady named Susan Phelan and she plays uh, Doris Lethbridge-Stewart. We get to see Doris again mm -hmm. in, the in the story. Um, someone asked, I should say is one little bit. Um, oh, and hello, Scott Clarenbold. I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I see in your comments. Um, uh, that photograph of the brigadier, uh, if you can bring, could you bring that back down? I want so, so people can see that, that last photograph, the second one you showed. Uh, the, that's oh, the, the first one. one. That's okay. The next one, the next one, if you don't mind, please. Yes. Anything that you notice, uh, I'll just, I won't make you guess for long, but can you, anything noti uh, you notice about the Brigadier's uniform that's a little different from what you might expect? And while, no. while you're thinking, I'll say this is an in terms of costumes. We went, I tried to go all the way to make this as authentic as possible. So that is an authentic, I did my research and, the, and Nicholas Courtney um, would wear a British World War II num um, number two dress uniform. That is an authentic to the period British dress number two, a World War II uniform. So we're, for Brigadier fans, we're going with the idea as originally intended that the Brigadier is a World War II veteran um, born in the 1920s. That was the original intention, at least the intention of the Pertwee era production team. Um, so I'll ask you really quick. And, and also the, his medals you can see over his, over his uh, left uh, side of his chest match the original series uh, for photographs. Um, the uniform itself came from a, um, what's it called, Milit uh, military emporium in, in Wales. Some other elements of the costume, that's an authentic Sam Browning belt. Um, the epaulettes are authentic. The cap is authentic. So you, you're, going to you're going to great lengths to make this authentic, make it fit in with Doctor Who continuity, and yes. to be, uh, to it's attention to detail, and it's, uh, you, you view yourself as, 
this isn't something you're doing in a cheap or exploitative way. You want to create something that will add texture that will fit as seamlessly as possible and yes. and create a lasting uh, tribute, I suppose. Well, that and a slight and, a, and more in the sense that this this goal and in turn. Well, the, the question I asked before is that if you look at his cap, he, it's a general. He We finally promoted him to General Lethbridge Stewart. Ah, um, quite right, too. Thank you. So, and because it's in the books and the audios, but in terms of, thank you. But in terms of um, the costume, by the way, came those parts of the costume I was mentioning, the hat, the cap, and the, the, the symbols and such, they all come from a wonderful Canadian girl named uh, Chrissy Myers, uh, who gladly, and, the, and when I say like that, snap, I mean, I, I contacted her, and then within an hour, she got back to me. And I, and I was getting just the many miracles that brought this together. That came from a, like a website that I found, the TARDIS Emporium. I found her. Who, know, who makes Brigadier costumes? I contacted her, and she gladly donated. When we talked on like this on, on, on Skype, she was unsewing the, 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 the uh, symbol, the, um, the uh, medals and such from the costume as we spoke. That's how, so that's you've how got, dedicated so you've she got, was. So you've got talented people who are willing to, yes. to cooperate with you. On this yes. project, you've got the resources, you've got the green screen, you've got you've got a, whatever props and uniforms that you need, co uh, costuming, and people canine. willing to, to step. But more more to the point, people willing to step into these roles yes. and to recreate these characters for us. Obviously, obviously, nobody these actors: Nick Courtney, Elizabeth Sladen. And, and David Tennant, they're irreplaceable. So yeah. finding actors who are, are going to be able to do that, however you, whatever you're going to do with the final footage, it's going to be a tricky thing to manage, hasn't it? We're going to bring on one of them. Now, this is one of the brave souls that you've roped into this project, playing the, the 10th Doctor there, we've just seen on screen. It's Kendall Whitesides. Hi, Kendall. Hi, Kendall. Hi, nice to meet you. Yes. Too. So, how yeah. do you, how did you become involved in this? And are you a Doctor Who fan, or is all this? Why am I wearing this brown suit? I don't know what I'm doing. What what's going on? What's your side to this? Oh man, I I just remember I was on Facebook, and there was, we have a Facebook page in Utah. It's called Utah uh, Film and something something. Don't really know, but there was a <laughs> post on there, and it was like, hey, I need someone for Doctor Who, and I thought. I've, I'm my friend watches Doctor Who. I know about Doctor Who. That'd be cool. I need this body style, this height, this weight, and I'm like, ah, you know, that matches. That's me. you. I'll, I'll try it out. Yeah. <laughs> and then from there, it just it just worked. It worked out. Everything just kind of fell together. So this as your English is, uh... accent. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> so totally so obviously terrible. that's you there on on the right. Yeah. You're there in the. Uh, in the converse and the tight yeah. suit of uh, the 10th doctor david tennant so so um for you it was a question of i'll give this a go was it it was it was that simple why not yeah why not i uh yeah is that a yeah. wig you're wearing in that photo then kendall no your that, hair is very cool that was my hair at that time i'm going really? for, for other parts i'm in a play right now for the um, or i'm auditioning for a play uh, Beauty and the Beast. So trying to be the. Prince. I was gonna. I was gonna ask you. You're, you are a professional actor. Amateur. I'd say amateur. Personally. Okay. Never say amateur. 
Always say you're professional. He casts actors all the time. <laughs> I have to oh. say, Kendall, you are undoubtedly the coolest dude we have ever had on this show. I, I'm oh, really... shut up, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> JT's cool, I'm cool. I think Dan you're fine. <laughs> he's cooler than you, Ian. I'm sorry, he's cooler than you. <laughs> okay, so, Chris, Don't you've got it. Kendall. You've got all these wonderful people that, that are stepping up to the mark to create and to uh, and to reimagine and to hit these marks for you. Kendall's grown a whole head of hair since you recorded that footage. When was it recorded? And more to the point, what do you need to do with it next? Because there's something very specific you're asking of the Doctor Who community going forward, yes. isn't it? We filmed on the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd of November 2019. So wow. it's getting towards, getting towards two years ago. And these things take time. But, of course, we've gone through uh, the coronavirus and such. And so that really sl has slowed things for the last year, year and a half. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but now that that feels starting to pass and, um, and we're coming out of the, that, that period, um, what I need to do is and what I'm learning, because I'm not a filmmaker. And uh, this was a passion of mine and a, a great a project I really wanted to do and felt compelled to do. But I'm not a filmmaker, so I did didn't go into this saying, I know what to do. It's more like, if I can find people to help me, this is what I want to do. How do we get it done? Thankfully, people like Kendall yeah. and others, many other people were able to help and, and finish the pre and post production. For the po excuse me, pre and then regular production. Perfect. For the post production, yeah. yeah, for the post production, that's where we are now. Um, and what, what I really need are people to help uh, from fandom. Or anyone involved, even if, like Kendall, who was not who knew about Doctor Who, but was willing and played a huge role, vital role in, to bring, help bring it about. We people, any people that even if they aren't necessarily Doctor Who fans, maybe have interest to find this interesting. But certainly Doctor fans, if they are already interested, that have um, post-production skills. So I'm talking. Um, uh, in fact, I'll, I'll, let me pull up a little photo on uh, my Twitter page because um, I was on a little pod, uh, kind of a. Uh, uh, the Doctor Community Show by Jack Reeves last week, and he was very kind enough to um, do a, a, a piece, a segment on on, on the same project, and I have it here. So he um, a list of the of the uh, roles we need. We need people that can do video editing, yeah. that have chroma key experience, rotoscoping experience. There's a word, chroma key. Haven't heard that for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, your chroma key has a fun little word. Yeah, but we need people with that. Oh, yeah. People with experience in things like Mocha, After Effects, Adobe Premiere, that you know can do the helping with the tracking and, and, and the rotoscoping that remove the people from the green screen images. Yeah. Background composition. There are um, not many scenes or set pieces, I should say, on for the footage, but you know, we have different angles. Uh, some sometimes half the shots will be simply putting we're trying to put um, Brigadier or Doris into a shot, and so the, the, the footage is already there. But sometimes we want to take Kendall and David, the doctor and the brigadier, in a shot together, and we might have the background, I hear the background, but maybe not at that angle. So we need background composition to, to extend the scenes. We need yep. audio and Foley people, uh, color correction, people with color correction um, experience, and then to also, create an entire yes. to create an entire domain that all exactly. of this all of this action is going to take place yes. in. And there's one other big thing, which is, and I have people helping, but I, I, the more the merrier is deep fake. Because this is the important thing about this project. Mm -hmm. You see before you on in this photograph, you see Kendall, you see David as the doctor and the brigadier. Um, 
and with all respect to them, I'm very grateful for their, for lending themselves. But I didn't ask. I, I, they went in, into this project knowing that you wouldn't ultimately see their faces. We're going to be recreating the faces with deepfake for for Nicholas Courtney and such. And so we need people with deepfake fake experience. That's how seamless I want this to be. Um, I, I'm going to try to. I'm going to. This isn't. Um, this is an in progress shot, so it's not perfect. I understand that. But if you if you don't mind, I'm going to. Try and share my screen. Okay. With you. So you. Yeah. It, it, am I so allowed to do that? These, uh, these to are, yes. This this is a work in progress that you're going to share with us now. Is it a an intermediary yes. phase of the project? To so somewhere in between the photos that we've just seen and your uh, ideal. Yeah. Add this to yes. the screen there. Now this. Uh, oh yeah. Thank you. So you can can you see my screen now? Yep. Yes. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Just a moment. Now, this is in progress, not perfect, but this is a shot of what we're trying to do. You can see there. Yep. This is Nicholas Courtney. So we've got some deep bakery going on there. Yeah, that's yes. definitely Nick Courtney's face. Yes. Now, it's not perfect. Of course, you can see it's a little blurry, but that this is something that was made probably during production. Oh, hello. Oh, that looks cool. Thank you. <laughs> um, I... Um, so we have that. Do you mind if I show you something else really quickly? May I share, share the yes, screen very yeah. quickly? Thank you. Karen, I should I explain to the people listening on the podcast that we're looking at raw footage here of, of, of actors moving on a, on a green screen in those suits with some dots all over them and uh, the figure of, of the Brigadier that we all know from, from the classic show. And as he looked, as, as the older Nick Courtney looked in the Sarah Jane adventures, but uh, brought to life, where are we? It's very, very... Life again it, with new actors and technology, isn't it? It's very spooky in a sense, um, it seeing it? that. It, it really is. It's, it's quite, I don't know, it's, it's, it's weird. It and is, this is you, Kendall? Can you see the screen right now? Yeah, yeah, yep. we've got it. I'll bring it back. This is a, a little bit of... I just want to show, share a little sampling about some of the footage. This is from the... Uh, I think the first day, November 21st, you'll see that. You'll see the doctor and the brigadier meeting, but imagine them, not quite as you see them. Of course, he meets Doris and such. Kendall was amazing as the doctor. I mean, Kendall, do you, I just want to ask you, Kendall, do you remember? I'm not trying to take over you know, the questions, Dan, but Kendall, do you remember <laughs> this shot You know, when you, when you kind of met the brigadier for the first time? Yeah, no, I remember every shot. It was uh, this, this role was actually, you know, I don't know. It was really cool. Like I wasn't, I was, you know, I'm not David Tennant. I was never, I didn't really know much about the Sarah Jane adventures, but, um, but he's told you to go over there and hug that guy. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but it felt real. Like it felt like yeah. I was, you know, so it felt very emotional. Acting, darling, acting. So, so yeah. had you, so, so Kendall, had you, did you, had you watched, I know you said that you've got a mate who liked Doctor Who, but had you yourself watched Doctor Who or did you go and watch hours and hours of David Tennant's Doctor Who to get ready for the role? What, did you, what happened then? Yeah, I just went, he said, I just need you to act like David Tennant. So I went and I watched everything I could find on David Tennant, um, Doctor Who. And I just poured over it and poured over it and poured over it. I attempted an accent, but he said they were going to like dub over my voice. So I was all like, you know, I'll kind of let that People slide a little watching bit. watching here in the live chat on YouTube are quite impressed here. Kendall and Chris, we've got comments like fabulous from Crimpling Doubloon. Alan Collins says it's impressive. Megan Eurobyte says simply wow. 
<laughs> so yeah, people, this is going down really, really well. My, yes, I, I was, I was, my, my feeling on watching the footage that we've just watched there now, my, my feeling is I think there is there is some reasoning in doing deep fake to, to put David Tennant and Nicholas Courtney on there. But I honestly think there is some some justification in putting the footage out with with the existing actors, with Kendall and whoever it is that's played um, uh, the, the Brigadier, because those are good likenesses. And, and I, I'm not saying I'm not saying don't do the deep fake. I'm saying. Are you sure you want to go down the deepfake route? It doesn't look that necessary to me. It, I uh, yes, I am sure to go down the deepfake route um, because this is a tribute to Nicholas Courtney, um, and so and then it, uh, it, it's an appreciation to the actor. So we might, it's like like you say to, to release the footage as is, and so I want to show to, to honor Kendall's and David's contribution. Yeah. I want people to know that they were there. So of course I will want. That's why I'm showing the footage as is. But if you, I want to go the deepfake route, absolutely. Because you know, um, be, yeah. are you going to be putting this into? Yeah. Are you going to be putting this into the episode of yes. of Sarah Jane? This oh, I see. This is good, right? And I, and I want to. I should say this right now. Mm. There is no money being made off of this. In case anyone's wondering, am I trying to make money? Am I trying to gain recognition for myself? No, not a bit. This is volunteering work. This and I, the people that I'm. This production was all voluntary. I'm asking not for money for the post production. I'm asking for people to help. To bring this about, why am I going the deep fake route? Because in, this is this is our chance in a way to go back to our grandparents' home, to go back to the attic of Sarah Jane of Sarah Jane on Thirteen Bannerman Road, just to go back to unit and see the Brigadier again. In two thousand nine, with all respect to Kendall and to David, you wouldn't have seen them. You would have seen David Tennant and Nicholas Courtney. This is mm. my tribute yeah. to Nicholas Courtney, and that's why we're doing the deep fake. So you will, so that future generations will never, in a way never have to ask oh or say to themselves oh man it would have been nice had he been there or was nicholas Corey able to be there i want people now to think to themselves oh, yeah he was there there is the reality that he wasn't i think there. you're gonna now have to was. um you're gonna have to uh grade what you've shot together with the grade that in the actual episode itself and you? you've got to you've got to match that grade uh, yes. that that should be if you've got That's someone doable. really good, yeah, it's doable. If you've got someone really good with grading and stuff like that, it's That's just a deep fake thing. You have to find someone that can do it really well. I have and a, um, I have a guy, I will, I'll shout him out right now. His name is Parker Hinckley. And is he, he going to do it? He's doing it. And, and, I'm, oh, yeah. and I welcome people, if they have these skills, to add their skills. We're all learning. We're all coming together and contributing and, and pooling our resources. So I welcome people to, just because I say we have Parker Hinckley who's doing it, Please, if you have, if you are interested and you have deep fake skills, don't say, "Oh, well, then he has somebody." I ha I want as many people as possible to join our project so we can reduce the workload on each person, on each volunteer that helps us, so that we can get this done quickly and that no one feels overloaded. Yeah, could work on this. Yeah, yeah on, this Charlotte. Is great though. This is what's so great about the Doctor Who community. It's like yeah. if anybody has a project, if anybody needs help. And I also, this is why I really like to listen to fan audios or watch fan things, because I think it's, it just really shows that this, this fandom's really creative and helpful and he's very active. And that's what I think is brilliant about it. And Chris is showing that by doing this project. Thank mm. you so much. It's, it's, it's a joy to do. Um, I, I, I felt it's one of those. It, this was something I felt compelled to do once I realized that that I'm you know you see in various films similar you know, very similar and probably better looking feats of deep fake but that had been on my mind before but it wasn't until really the technology became available around two or three years ago that anyone can do it on their computer 
then I suddenly, re- I suddenly so realized the light bulb came on. <laughs> yeah, the light bulb came on, and I realized it, anything is possible, and this is within reach. And and uh, <laughs> it was a wonderful experience. I w- it was a whirlwind. The end of two thousand nine was <laughs> incredibly stressful, um, but no regrets. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And, and I and I I feel very grateful and blessed. I, I made friends with Kendall, with uh, with friends with David Lane. Um, I will say even the littlest things came together. One one thing I'll briefly share is when um, the likenesses. You, um, um, uh, Simon, you mentioned that Kendall and David had the likenesses, and that's a big part of it. We I, yeah. I was looking for someone in that post Facebook post that Kendall first discussed mentioned. I, I didn't just say, "Hey, who wants to do this?" I, in the post, I said, "I need someone that looks as closely to these two men as possible." Yeah, the same height, the same yeah. build, the same and such. And the same face structure. When uh, we had, I had a few couple men, um, a couple guys for each for both roles to try. And Kendall ended up being the person. I still remember the first time I met Kendall. We were we met at a Wendy's, I think it was, or, or something in a, a restaurant in Utah. He came down. He drove a little ways, so I was very grateful. And, and I showed him the photo. I, I showed him more than the photographs. I showed him straight from Nepal. And it was in Nepal that they made the, the that they make these costumes, and these people you would think, oh, it's it's gonna take forever to get here. They would say, we'll get it to you in thirty six hours. They got it to me in twenty four hours. I showed Kendall <laughs> uh, a piece of fabric, the original fabric that it matches what the BBC used to say. This is what you might be wearing. These are the photographs. I was pitching and everything to him. But um, when we when I met when when David was cast as the brigadier. I showed photographs to Parker, my deep fake guy, and there were a couple guys that were possibles. And I said, and David was the least likely because he was very busy. He made that clear. He said, I'm busy, but maybe I can help if something, if you can't find anybody. And uh, I showed Parker the photographs of the men that could play the brigadier. And I said, which of these men do you think is the best? And he just pointed at David and said, him. And I said, why him? And, he, and I thought, oh, he's the hardest to get, perhaps. And he said, why him? Look at him. He's the same face, same nose. Uh, you might have to age him a little bit, but... When I met David, because in the photograph, he looked a little bit younger. When I met David, I thought, well, we might have to put some age and some wrinkles. And I saw him. He was flipping his fingernails. And he was at his uh, studio, standing on the doorstep of his uh, studio in downtown Salt Lake City. I saw him. I thought, oh, my gosh, he's 80, he's 80 years old. <laughs> he's the right age. We don't have to do so anything. I can, I can uh, say that just reading the chat here this evening while on this live stream, you know, people are kind of – enchanted by this people are impressed by the audacity of what you're trying to achieve the standards so far you've got a couple of people who've asked just like richard brooks is asking here how do we find this magnificent stuff on youtube but that's the help point, me make it, it? it can't that's what be i'm saying you want yet. how do you, you find it get... how do you find it I'll, I'll answer that how do you how do we find this on youtube and i'm not trying to make a joke i'm just saying it. everyone that can help and all the things that i've mentioned chroma key rotoscoping, mocha, after effects, deep fake, color correction, grading, come out of the woodwork, please, and help me, contact me, contact me at, at Studio Glove on Twitter, or my, or my uh, I, I can leave a link for my personal email address. Look, but if you give me all contact. of your contacts, all of the yes. contacts, we will put all the contact information in the description of this video, we'll tweet them out too, it'll be in the show notes of the podcast as well, so people will be no doubt about how to get in touch with you. We'll do everything we can to put you in touch with the right people because, as Charlotte was saying, there, there is no community like the Doctor Who community for no. creativity, for for passion, and for people willing to go the extra mile. I'm sure they'll be happy to to work with you to get to the solution. 
to create the magic that you're trying to trying to create as a tribute to two people who are sadly missed, deeply respected, irreplaceable. But yeah, but th this yes. is going to stand as a lasting sort of kiss back from the fan base to these I, yes. two wonderful actors. And I will say this: I know that you are right because. I have no doubts that this will be that this will be completed, and the reason why I have no doubts is because I'm asking for help with post production. I'm not asking for people to help me to film this, or to, to ask for casting or ideas of how do we get this off the ground. We've done this. We have filmed it. I have the footage in my heart, my terabyte hard external hard drive right here. We've done it. We've completed that on the set. What just before the first day we got there, we were on the set. Everyone was getting there. Parker Hinckley is a wonderful man. And my defect guy, and he said, um, when he's just standing there with kind of eyes shining a little bit, and he's kind of got his arms folded, and he said, he said, he's just looking at the set, and he'd been there from the beginning for the last six months, from me just saying, hey, can you do this, to we are on the set, we have everything, even catering, and uh, he's just staring there, he says, if you ever want to believe in signs that some things are meant to be, this is it, and that's how I feel too, absolutely, because I'm here now saying, help me to finish it, not helping to make it. Help me to finish. That's why I know there's no doubt in my mind that this and is presumably and presumably all of, all of this was shot on green screen. There is no set, which to be clear, but it's all green screen. I, I'm interested to know how did how did you get with filming on 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 green screen? And Kendall, had you acted on green screen before, or was it all, this all new to you? I I done a uh, blue screen once, but there was that was a uh, long time yeah. ago then. Blue screen, blue, yeah, <laughs> it was blue. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it was definitely not as intricate as this. Like this was just this well, they was have um, experience. Chris, they have um, Real Engine. I don't know if you know about Real Engine. That's free. It's a it's a program that basically it's what the Mandalorian uses. Um, but obviously, Mandalorian uses huge screens. Um, so Real Engine follows you around. So if you if you connect to your camera and you move that way, the background will move with the with the person. So so look into Real Engine and maybe find someone that can actually use Real Engine. Real Engine is free. You can you can download that. So just try and look look for that as well. That would help. Thank, thank you for telling me too. And thank you for right? telling me that. Um, I'll just say call you Mega Geek because I don't know your name. But um, um, but Simon, to answer your question, most of it was uh, green screen. Two, the first two days on the twenty third, um, we. If you don't mind, Dan, may I sh share this too? Share the screen. Can you bring? If you can, uh, if you, maybe you can control that for me really quickly. I just want to show you. Thank you. Um, we filmed on the last day uh, at a at a man's house in Provo, Utah, and we have. Uh, I don't know if you can see this, but uh, yeah, we were on set. We have so we have some location filming. Um, and of course, there's David and there's Susan. There's Stephanie Acton, who plays Sarah Jane Smith. Uh, we went to great pains to match her hairstyle to how it would have been in the wedding of Sarah Jane Smith. And uh, so, yeah, we 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 uh, we have we have um, some location filming. I'm, if you bear with me one more moment, I want to show you one other thing, which is this. If you'll uh, if we if I can find the footage, we should be. One thing that you'll get to see. Is there a few things that you'll get to see with this story? You'll get to see, you'll get to see the brigadier again. You'll get to see the brigadier. He will get to um, the, the doctor will meet the tenth doctor will get to meet the brigadier. The brigadier will meet K nine, um, and I think that I should say that um, we have a very special person doing the voice of K nine. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and I, I will say it right now that we have John Leeson doing the voice of Canine. Quite right, too. Thank you. He was very kind. I asked him to record a little bit of dialogue of him meeting the brigadier, and he did. Got back to me the next day and recorded it, and I didn't expect it. I had hopes, but I didn't expect it, and what I, I didn't I didn't know what to expect. I expected maybe a while. It was about six hours later, and um, he was so kind. But you will get to see the brigadiers and the doctor say goodbye, and kind of in a somber thing, which is the last thing you see of the brigadier in, the, in a, kind of the last shot. If you can see this, is that you get to see him. Hang, I won't show you everything, but you get to see him hang up his uniform for the last time. This is, this is not just simply. It's not just simply. Um, Affair. It's not just simply. Oh, he gets. He he sees the doctor again. And David is such a wonderful actor. How he met, played that scene, knowing that he is hanging it up for the final time. He will. He'll hang up his uniform. And then I might. I, just, I should show you this one other thing, which is the so last seen, shot. What we're looking story. at are further scenes from yes. from Chris's raw material yes. here of the actors in costume acting out these uh, these scenes. Before the work is done to to finish them, yes. to take them to the to the point where they'll be able to be viewed and uh, and uh, salivated over by the Doctor Who community. <laughs> got one. We got one more to look at. Yes, right here. We're going to have to move shot, on, Chris. Of course, so I understand. The last shot will be the Brigadier say, talking to Doris, and Doris will say to him, "You know, was this really your last battle?" And and kind of matching what you saw on the Enemy of the Bane, the camera will come and he says, "Now I've hung up my uniform for the last time." Unless I hear the blue police box has been found somewhere, and then don't you worry, I will be ready. And he says that to the camera because that's the brigadier saying goodbye to us. Oh, it does sound very. I mean, I've obviously your audio work is just as painstaking and respectful and romantic and all those things. And this sounds very much in in the same vein, but obviously several several steps along. Really, really ambitious. And uh, everybody at Type 40, obviously, we wish you every look in the yeah, world good luck. with getting this finished. Yes, very it's very, very mm. impressive. And I think that, yeah, people in the in the chat here are, uh, yeah, very, very keen to see, to see it come to reality. So, yeah, if you know anybody, if you're out there watching, you've got any of these skills that Chris is asking for, that they're looking for to make this happen, to make it complete. Please get in touch. Either get in touch with here, here, bleh, get in touch with us here at Type 40 on the social medias or in the comments section or get in touch direct with Chris. You know, we can put you in touch with him or whatever else. We'll make sure that you're in no doubt about where to find him if you've got the skills to contribute to this new project. What's going to be the title of it again, Chris? It is The Wedding of Sarah Jane Smith. I think if there's a title, if, if you want to differentiate it from original, maybe you could call it... We call it the wedding of Sarah Jane Smith Redux. Maybe I might give it a more official title, something like the wedding of Sarah Jane Smith, all guests attending or something. But uh, but it's the wedding of Sarah Jane Smith with the Brigadier. Who's Great. not going to want to see that, JT? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very ambitious program. So, uh, so um, and project. So best of luck to both of you. Yeah. yeah Good luck. Thank you. Good luck. Yeah. yeah. Can't wait to see yeah, the results and, of that. And, even though what. I appreciate, Kendall, that you probably have no idea what we're what we're talking about with some of this, but I think it's incredibly game of you to come and come and to talk and to talk about it and to take this job on, where ultimately your face is going to get covered up. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but you're, you're still you're you're going to be an unofficial doctor. I think that people will still yes. be interested in your side of this story too. So yeah, thank you both for coming on with all of this. It's been absolutely fascinating. Uh, we've got yeah several people wishing you uh, good luck as well. 
And uh, yeah, yeah, the wedding of Sarah Jane Smith. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, the send off, the send off that Liz Sladen probably uh, probably deserves there from the Doctor fandom. I like the sound of that. Uh, talking about other momentous days, everybody. I've just been hearing this week something that I wasn't wasn't aware of. I don't know if you guys have seen this. This is uh, it's been in the papers this week from the Metro. Peter Capaldi, everybody. We love Peter Capaldi, don't we? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. I love Peter Capaldi. So I didn't realise that Peter Capaldi has now become a grandparent. And uh, he's been in the Metro. Well, it took his time, didn't he? So they've been out and about. Yeah. (laughs) Taking some photos here of Peter Capaldi showing off his uh, parenting skills as he stepped out with his daughter and new grandchild, the actor. 63 was worlds away from uh, Doctor Who as he took on Grand. I'm worried about that child's face, though. That child, that child, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <A bit> pixelated, privatized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought it was lovely to see to see this, you know, because we used to see him. He's just been in the Suicide Squad film, hasn't he? Any more pictures? No, oh, there he is eating a Mars bar and uh, doing his granddad. Oh, god, he's just so video. normal. <laughs> yeah, but he, he always strikes me that way, though, JT. I think that's what I, what I like about the man so much. You see, he's you Glaswegian. About him. Glaswegian. <laughs> you cannot get more down to earth than a Glaswegian. <laughs> well, oh, it was lovely seeing him out and about. Yeah, and, and especially congratulations, as... Peter. <laughs> he can't hear you. <laughs> Oh, so, give her a couple of, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter it's uh yeah we, we've all got uh, technical problems now and again the sound will come back in a second what were you saying charlotte i was going to say especially as the last couple of weeks it wasn't nice press he was getting so this is a nice bit of positive press mm. you know, charlotte sounds like she's yeah. in the next doctor yeah you sound darlicky <laughs> I'm, I'm getting no, it's the it's it's that woman that became the cyber leader. Remember, in the next Doctor, she oh, sounds God, like her. Yeah, it's that. Yeah, what technology yeah. are you using there? I mean, have you got the have you got the decoder, uh, the voice coder uh, thing? Dial up. <laughs> uh, we've got a comment here from Mega Neurobyte who says at least the Mars bar wasn't battered. Oh, <laughs> yes, very, true. Very, very true. I don't think people do that. Do people still do that, JT? In Scotland? Yeah. Or was that over? Oh no, 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 not, 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 not across Scotland, but only in Glasgow at probably about four o'clock in the morning when you come out of a club, if you're allowed in a club, which we're not really at the moment. They are the best, though. They are the best. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, again, congratulations on becoming a granddad to Peter Capaldi. And wonderful stuff, part of the Doctor Who family, of course, and uh, and yeah, we're just really, really happy for them when when nice things happen. Yeah, talking of nice things, Simon, I think it's that I think it's that time again. That nice uh, bound book that you keep next to your <laughs> spangly jacket. I can't look at it. <laughs> <laughs> I've, yeah, Doctor Doctor Blaze mentioned earlier on that, that it's a disco ball jacket. I'm going with the disco ball jacket. To be clear, everybody, I'm wearing it because it's Abba Day. All right, in case you're wondering, I don't normally. No, you're wear not. You wear... yes, you do. You're on the bus Only and everything with it. Katie. Only yeah, a weekend. We, we've got photographic <laughs> evidence. <laughs> it has to be. It has to be that time of the show again, where we do some we do some deep diving. Now, Kendall, I know that this isn't really your bag. You're welcome to stay if you want to hear some. If you want to hear some serious hardcore Doctor Who, I'm not sure. But we won't be offended. The little boys no. here, but the rest of us, we're going to dip in. 
We're going to dip in now with our 500 Watch your ears. for some Doctor Who nuggets Watch your from ears. the past, aren't we? With Simon. So, yeah, mind your ears, everybody. Mind your ears. We're about to go back We've got to change that. Seriously. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, the sound effect that, that we all know and love does indeed tell us that, yes, it's time for a bit more time travelling. Um, this week, actually, this week is, is uh, I think, one of the most uh, important weeks, really, for Doctor Who fans, because it's the week when traditionally Doctor Who would have restarted back in the autumn, in the autumn schedules on BBC One. This was when Doctor Who would have been, the new season would have been starting. For, for many, many of the years. So believe it or not, this week we're actually marking seven, seven season premieres, brand new season premieres. In other words, the first episode of the first story of a brand new season. And there are seven of them this week. Destiny of the Daleks, Horror of Fangrock, The Mask of Mandragora, Terror of the Zygons, right back to Tomb of the Cybermen. All of these premieres this week. All of them premiered this week. We're not going to talk about them all this week. We're going to, to this very day, today, we're actually marking 43 years since the Ribos operation or the Rebus operation. Rebus, if you yeah. The Rebus operation was screened. There we are. There's, there's <laughs> Tom. There's Tom sporting his, his famous plaster um, because, of course, uh, Tom was bitten. Um, famously by by a dog owned by Paul Seed, who was who was um, playing the Grafin Decay in this story, um, and he was bitten by the by Paul Seed's dog the night before the very final day of studio recording, um, and so and so the, the publicity photos all have Tom <laughs> with this plaster over his lip. And he carries it off what, well, though. He does carry it off Mary? well. Can you imagine, JT, what Mary Tam must have thought of this? It's the very first story, and there's a leading man with a plaster on his face. <laughs> and, the, and, 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 what, and the best part of this, of course, is, is it's very the, the scar that Tom is left with is very prominent throughout um, the pirate planet in particular. Uh, and they and they sort of concoct this scene in the pirate planet where he where he supposedly the TARDIS does a lurch and he bumps his, his mouth on the TARDIS, and that's somehow supposed to explain. And I remember as a child thinking, why has the doctor got this really bad scar on his, on his upper lip? And, and we find out it's because he was bitten by a dog the day before. And, and George Stenton Foster, who was the director, had to change some of his camera angles on the Rebus operation um, to avoid seeing Tom's face on that side because of this, <laughs> this scar that he's left with. Um, other interesting facts about uh, the Ribus operation, Tom's scarf has doubled in length at this point in the show um, because they actually sewed, they sewed two scarves together. They sewed the hero scarf together with the stunt scarf. You can't believe that they had a hero scarf and a stunt Why? scarf. Why? Why on earth did they do that, Simon? Well, because Tom, by that point, was so well into his 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 um, stride in the show, he just wanted the scarf to go longer. He was using it so much as a prop at that point. He loved the scarf, quite understandably, as did the public. So he just wanted a longer scarf, and what Tom wanted, Tom got. Um, and so that's why it literally literally doubles in length. Um, of course, Rebus Operation is also... Are we saying Rebus Operation or Ribos? Who says Rebus? I, I say Rebus, the Rebus I Operation. Yeah. Um, we'll go with Rebos then. Um, this, of course, marks the uh, debut of Romana Vratlunda. Romana Vratlunda. Is it Fred? 
Fred, yeah. Fred, well done, well, absolutely. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> David, Fred, they by the wonderful, beautiful, sadly missed Mary Tam. Um, also, the, gorgeous, the white absolutely gorgeous. Beautiful, beautiful. The, the, this this particular script, of course, is written by Robert Holmes. Believe it or not, this is Robert Holmes' thirteenth script for the show. Thirteenth script. He'd already done classics like The Time Warrior, The Ark in Space, Pyramids and Mars, The Deadly Assassin, The Talents of Wen Chiang. He still had his magnum opus, The Caves of Androzani, to come six years later. Is there any? You know, Robert Holmes is absolutely up there as as one of the one of the. Surely one of the absolute shining lights of Doctor Who. The thing that strikes me about this, though, Simon, and and talking about that and uh, the uh, years later, was six, eight years later, because they they came to Robert Holmes as well when they when they were doing the trial series. And obviously we look at the key to time season now and the trial yep. season, they both have that umbrella theme, don't they? Absolutely. And the reason why I thought that was a good thing to talk about today is because we're about to, as Doctor Who fans, be taken back there. Series 13 is also going to have this umbrella theme, isn't it, across those six episodes. So they're going back to the well on that one. People mm. say that it didn't really work that well with the trial. And, you know, you could say that it was it really even there in the key to time. But I think it's, uh, yeah, there's a certain sort of uh, symmetry to this, isn't yeah. it? You know, the and fact I, that, I, I, and I certainly remember. I don't know about you, other guys, Charlotte. Bless you. You're you're far too young to remember this, but for the rest of us that can remember it, I do remember as a child being quite, I don't know, quite sort of um, enthralled by the idea of. We didn't call them story arcs in those days. We didn't call them umbrellas. It was just the key to time season and that was it. But I was quite, I must be honest, I was excited by the idea of this overarching story that went across all six stories. And I liked that uh, the the beginning of each of those stories in that season began with a little recap about where they were with the hunt for the key to time and ended with them getting the key and adding it to the I, I liked that. Did in any, the run you know, up, JT, in Ian, the in the run-up to the reboss operation, it. in the run-up to the reboss operation, though, did did they publicise the umbrella theme as much? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I, I, seem can't, to I can't remember. Was, I can't was remember it. it. Was it JT? I can't remember what it was. I um, I I, might, I don't know because um, they've never unless well, until we get the, uh, the the appropriate season Blu-ray box set where they compile absolutely everything that's in the archives. We can't remember. But they, I was aware of it. I was an eight-year-old, and I was aware this was coming, and I was aware that episode one of the rebus operation would have a new companion in it, K9 Mark II, and uh, a theme that would go throughout the series. And I remember being very excited. It may have even come from something like the Radio Times or the newspapers, because in those days, the newspapers would... would uh, I remember Mary Tam being in the press thinking, oh, there's the new girl. And it might have said something in there about the, the whole series I of the Times. I'm pretty certain it was. We, we definitely knew it was, that, it was the, uh, mm. that it was the key to We time. definitely See? knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember being so excited about the whole thing. And uh, even now, I, uh, when I look back at Rebus Operation, now I can feel exactly how I did as an eight-year-old yeah. with the opening title sequence for the Rebus Operation and that whole series, thinking, what, what's this going to be about? And where's it going to yeah. go? And then when you're introduced to people like the White and the Black Guardians, and you've got that threat of the Black Guardian coming all the way through. It, it, it had just to, it brilliant, did, brilliant. It did, have, uh, it did. It added something, I think. The Rebus Operations well also has two of my very, very, very favourite words in in the entire run of Doctor Who: Shrivenzal and Jethric. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm having those. Thank you, Robert Holmes. Those are two good. Those are two good words for Doctor Who. They are so. Uh, so, so yeah, Rebus Operation was definitely height of my 
love of Doctor Who was blossoming at that point. I was definitely the obsession was 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 well and truly kicking in with me uh, with Doctor Who at that point. Um, what else yeah. have we got? What else? Is so there? what we've also got, what we've also got is, is another story that I personally absolutely adore. It's 41 years since the Leisure Hive started as well, kicking off the, the famous um, 18th season, John Nathan Turner's first, Tom Baker's last season. Um, incredibly and sadly, I think, the, 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 the viewing figures for this have fallen down to an average of around about 5.9 million um, for, for season 18, which was low for Doctor Who. To, by comparison, the rebus operation two years earlier got 8.3. So it's quite a drop. Um, and of course, that was that was to a large extent thanks to uh, ITV scheduling book writers in the 25th century <laughs> on the other side. Um, but, uh, but yes, it was JT, John Nathan Turner's first job as producer, previously being a production unit manager. Um, it, it was also effectively script edited by John Nathan Turner because um, at that point, Christopher Bigney hadn't come on. So JNT is largely responsible for the leisure hive. He commissioned it um, and and he script edited it. Um, and I love it, I must be honest. And, and the, the thing is with this is just about everything. Everything was new, and this is what I've talked about in the past. That's, that's the point of this: is it, it was another new yeah. start, another new new beginning. It was grabbing the audience by the yeah, not by the throat, but by that by both hands and pulling them yes. into the 1980s. That's what I remember the most about not not so much the story, but this whole time. I think that we, you know what, the question I asked about the key to time. I, from my point of view, as a little boy watching this show, all I knew was was that the show that I loved was back, and it all looked much the same. But in this instance, yeah, the show that I loved was back, and it looked and felt and sounded and even behaved completely differently. The only things that were the same were the were the cast and the little tin dog and the and the blue box, really. But they they don't even get inside that really in in this story. So that's mm. what I remember about this how stark a change it was that we were all of a sudden in the 1980s it was all very electronic and um of course there was the thing with the ratings as you said you know, they it may have been for all that jnt was a visionary with all this stuff it may have been a little bit too late because itv scheduled it opposite this big glossy new import didn't they the book rogers of the 25th century but it was a, a really i think it was a time where post star wars Sci-fi was sci-fi was big, it was mainstream, and it was game at tea time in a way that it hadn't really been before. Mm. But do you think that from the success of Doctor Who for so many years, the BBC would plough more money into it? So even, you know, because like on the other channel, you had Buck Rogers, but they didn't. They just carried on. And no wonder why Doctor Who was going up and down, because the 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 um the actual uh, quality of Doctor Who wasn't matching what the Americans were giving us. Oh, I disagree. Have you seen Book Rogers? It's got yeah. cardboard sets and crappy costumes and awful Buck scripts. Rogers. It's I awful. No, and Static 24, I actually think he's spot on in saying that, that Book Rogers actually is dated far worse than, say, the Leisure Hive has. And I would agree there, actually. I, I, mean, I would as well. I mean, if you look yeah, at anything like that true. or Battlestar Galactica, it's all Charlie's Angels. It's exactly the same stuff. It's just impossible to watch. And, I did it's all absolute cardboard sets and bad scripts and nonsense acting it's terrible stuff you can't you can't really compare it to the british quality because ours is totally different no i'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm gonna argue against that that one completely our stuff was quality effects. their stuff was churn the well ours had quite cardboard sets as well didn't the, it right 
No. Doctor Who? No. No. (laughs) Why can't I see anybody? Dan, go on. Go ahead, Dan. Sorry, mate. The special effects were quite quite arresting, (laughs) weren't they? On the Buck Rogers show, but... And at the time, they seemed like they could have quite easily have been taken from from Star Wars, from anything that was at the cinema. And, of course, Doctor Who, it was given that kind of refresh, but it still couldn't go there. I, I agree with you, JT. I think that the sets... Now, I think, yeah, it's really obvious that they were no, not really that much more expensive than Doctor Who's. But because everything else had that sheen and it had that continuity with the, with the eye, uh, Doctor Who, for younger children, couldn't quite compete. It couldn't, it couldn't quite catch up enough. I mean, I, no. I chose Doctor Who every week. But that was, I think, more down to the content of the of the of the script I dis- I disagree. and the quirkiness I of the disagree. characters. But Chris, from your point of view, yes. do you remember Book Rogers in the twenty fifth century? Were you a Doctor Who viewer at this point? And when you hear about our cultures colliding like this, do you know, how do you feel about it now? Do you think one has dated more than the other, or what? Do, what do you think? I'm a Buck Rogers is a little before my time. <laughs> Show off. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, everybody. <laughs> yeah. I've never, I'm, I'm just going to be honest. I've never seen Buck Rogers. I've never, I don't know, I know nothing about it. But no, 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 perfect answer. The fact I, I, did, I did like fact, Buck. Sorry, okay, go ahead. Sorry, Dan. Go the, on. Yeah. the fact that you haven't mm. kind of plays to what JT was saying. Yep. In in that, that that has not aged, <laughs> that has aged. Sorry, that has dated. That has slipped into the TV past in a way that in a way that Doctor Who hasn't signed. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That that that's. Uh, go on. Sorry, Chris. Oh, I was just going to say. Yeah, I can. I mean, I I can. I am. How would I, how would I say this? Then I say things, it. Things have <laughs> been flow. You know, things have their time. Things don't. But exactly. But but I can say this. I could say I'll put it this way. Full disclosure, when it comes to me in Doctor Who right now, um, the Jodie Whittaker era, and I'm not saying this to bash the era, but it's not my favorite era. I'm not. Yeah, terribly... same with us. You're not, <laughs> you're same not with us. Yeah. You're, you're not hurting anyone. And I don't say that to blast Jodie or, or Chris Chibnall. It's just I, 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 I'm not terribly fond of her era. No. Even so. Hey, you don't have to, Even mate. With... We'll do it for you. I'll quite happily say oh, yeah. we, we all will. We've all <laughs> said it. It's fine. Go on, okay. carry on. Carry on. Sorry, we're interrupting but, you. But in the, but no, it's fine. But in this for, in this from this subject from that from one, from that perspective, it's true. But even not enjoying Jodie Whittaker's era, I would say almost not at all. Even with that, um, I still um, would still. How do I say this? I still would consider myself someone that's willing to give her a chance, even now. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe not so much. But you but the series it's, and its go, future go chance. There, <laughs> or but give its future chance. Having said that, yeah, even though I don't like the series that much right now, I would give it a chance, and it would still continue for me. Everything has its ebb and flow. Even strong series like something like over here, let's say over here in Star um, America, the X Files, let's say. Um, it has its ebb and flow, and it has it has somewhat lasted, but even but it had um, it had an era you know had a you know revival a couple of years ago, and it did all right, but you know it's kind of fizzled also a little bit too. I don't and it takes then and I mentioned that because okay something like Buck Rogers in the twenty fifth century I don't know what it is I've heard the title but I don't know what it is. 
at yeah. the same so something might be strong but they kind of fizzle i don't really see doctor who ever fizzling away to the point no. in my life well, it, let's just say that it could that well it, could ca it, 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 it can't chris for the simple reason that doctor who is different in that it's a british institution it's part of our heritage i keep saying this on the show because it's important that people yeah, out of the united true. kingdom understand it's part of our blood and it's always going to be around in the same way that holmes is around and that robin hood is around coronation and street. it's always uh, coronation street yeah eastenders now yeah. Uh, even though it's that's being crippled it will always be around but uh, going back to what you were saying simon about uh, the leisure hive and we're talking about it couldn't compete dan and what you're saying the bbc reacted to that because the following year it was moved and it was twice weekly yes. and it was on at six o'clock six fifty seven o'clock yes. in the evening and that's because they noticed it they noticed the quality of the episodes coming through and they went jesus we've got to do something about this because it's actually quite good it's and we've got a brand more, new start more, bang we want to want more people to see it and and okay if they won't yeah. come on saturday that's that's fine there are no and it worked anymore. We will it move will. We all know the ratings work. went sky high for season 19 and good yeah. for them. Yeah, they did. And the, thing, and the other thing that the point that I've made in the past about the Leisure Hive uh, that I think is so important, this is why it works still so well, is because, as you mentioned, Dan, it is a complete new reinvigoration. There's a new costume, a new logo, a new title sequence, new theme music, new incidental music, new titles, new everything. And yet it's still undoubtedly, undeniably, intrinsically the same show that ended with the Horns of Nime on the year before. It's still the same show. It's just brand new and it feels new and exciting. And that is how showrunners, to use the modern parlance, and I'm, you know, we let that one go. Parlance. That's how showrunners need to reinvent Doctor Who. That's that to me is a that John Nathan Turner reinvented Doctor Who in exactly the way it needed to be reinvented and it can still yeah. be done again and yet it's still within its dna intrinsically it's still doctor who and that's why well there are I people who somebody else let's let's move on slightly now but some, Sorry. somebody okay. else somebody yeah, somebody else who desperately wanted to reinvent doctor who back in the 1990s was a former scriptwriter of the show weren't they and somebody who who were uh, left us uh, somebody else yeah. left us. <laughs> somebody who left us uh, 30 years ago wasn't it yeah, sadly, Jerry Davis died um, in 1991, aged 61. Um, yeah, he, of course, he, he wrote a number of, of, of Who scripts, The Celestial Toymaker, Tenth Planet, Highlanders, Tomb of the Cybermen, Revenge of the Cybermen. Um, he also, I think people forget that he script edited a season and a half as well. He script edited mm -hmm. the last half of, um, of, of William Hartnell's run, um, starting with the R, uh, right the way through uh, to the end of season four, the end of um, Patrick Trout's first season uh, at the Eve of the Daleks. So he was really there for a, a key part, a, a, a crucial period of the series history. And according to Annika Wills, and who are we to argue, Annika Wills says that it was Jerry Davis that, that was the one that came up with the idea of regeneration. So in many ways, we kind of have yeah. Jerry Davis to thank um, for, for, for the fact that, we, that we, we're still watching the show to this day, if, if this is true. Um, and you're right, Dan. Yeah, he tried to 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 reinvent he tried to relaunch the series he wanted to take over um the running of the series i think around about 1990 um and failed the bbc obviously turned him down and he went and you can't help thinking oh in a parallel universe somewhere there's doctor who season 27 by jerry davis that i i have to be honest i'd love to see that i'd love to see that show 
because I, I I love his stuff. We've got to remember, along with Kit Peddler, again, he created the Cybermen. Um, again, the same as with Robert Holmes, he's, he's, he casts a long shadow over the series. He's, he's easily forgotten amongst the Robert Holmes and the Philip Hinchcliffe's and the JNTs, but he's key. How I, how I feel about it, Simon, is at a time like this where we're all waiting to see when or even if a new showrunner is going to appear. We've got we've got figures like this from Doctor Who history in, who have um, who have made their pitch, who who wanted who were courted to be involved, or who mm. made their claim that they wanted to take it on or to take it back. You know, both, both Jerry Davis and Terry Nation. Terry Nation, yeah. And get the show. Verity together. Well, it was the two of them together. Yeah, and Verity did as well, didn't she, JT? Yeah, yeah. There were lots of people that put pitches in, but we we can't really take it too far because the BBC yeah. weren't that serious with those things at the moment. They were just yeah. following the law of the land at the time. They wanted the long game and that's exactly what they got. I think out of all those but, candidates, it's Jerry's that interests me the most though, Simon. Because Jerry, as I say, Terry Nation. Jerry and Terry Nation were working together to, to pitch, to, to, to get the show. And, and as I say, it's, yeah. it's mouthwatering to think. And of course, bless him, John Nathan Turner, as we've talked about in the past, desperately wanted to move on. So we know that there were people out there that were, that were asking the BBC to give them a chance. And they got turned down every time and they stuck with John Nathan Turner, even though he was telling them, you know, I've run out of energy, I need to move on. And that's part of, of, um, of why the show was running to the ground and why, Jer uh, John Nathan Turner ultimately was, was sort of vilified and, 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 and told to get out by the fandom. And it's such a shame the way it ended. It didn't have, didn't, it, there should have been another way to quote. Uh, mm. <laughs> well, the I'm not sure that's exactly true. The pitches started to come in from towards the end of Doctor Who's time because, of course, yes. it, under, under Thatcher's government, she told the BBC, you must start farming more out. And they started to. Literally in the late 80s, Doctor Who's term was coming to an end, 88 for 89. We, we, well, we didn't know it, but they did. It wasn't until 1990 that they really started. I think it was either in, it, it may have been Doctor Who Monthly once upon a time, but it might have been a book. I can't remember now. They, um, um, Jerry actually did write something about the planned vision that they had to take to the BBC. And I'm sure in it, he said that they never actually took it to the BBC. I'll have to go back through the monthlies because it goes right back. To, it's in the 90s somewhere in the lost era that um, Jerry's interviewed or he mentions it somewhere. I think what's frustrating, you're correct, JT, with what you're saying. What I think what I'm trying to say is what Where I find frustrating is that the BBC allowed it to run itself into the ground under a producer that was begging them to leave. And instead of having looking at the bigger picture and, 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 and seeing it for what it was, they were they were insular. They didn't they didn't open their eyes to the fact that there were people out there because they kept on saying, as we know, their excuse for keeping John Nathan Turner on was nobody else wants to take this on. Absolutely. And they were wrong yeah. in that. And that's what frustrates me. They should have given it to a new, fresh team. Um, that might have reinvigorated it, and we, it might. They just didn't want yet. to, though, did they? We know that now. They just didn't want Doctor Who going past. I mean, Peter just didn't want it. He just didn't want it. He wanted it gone, and he wanted it for any. And he did. He, it was his. It was his channel at the time. He got his way. And of course, JNT was the last, as we would know it, the last traditional staff member. Yeah. Um, yeah. At the BBC, I mean, everything last, changed after he went, didn't it? When he went last, off the worldwide. Last man standing. Last man standing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bless yeah. him. So rest in peace, Jerry Davis. You are missed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very sadly, very sadly missed. Um, also, also may, today. May um, I ask a question? We, we, yeah, we oh, got go question. ahead. 
sure. Uh, I know that you have you want me to move on, but just very quickly, if you just uh, I'm very curious in terms of shows, um, if you had the chance now to choose the showrunner going forward in, with people alive now, because the current. Well, with respect, Chris, that is a completely different subject. We've, we've talked about that quite a lot on the show. We, we'll come round to all that as the show moves on. So if, if you um, go carry on. If you have, does that sound like a good show? Chris, you're breaking up. Okay. He's gone. So, Simon, carry on with the next item. I'm sorry, Chris, I'm going to have to okay, interrupt you right. there because I can't hear you properly. Okay, right. Very quickly, I'll rattle to, through a couple. We've got a couple of birthdays today. A much happier note. A couple of birthdays today. Woo. We've got... Um, yeah, we're celebrating, uh, well, sadly, <coughs> neither of them are with us. That's the tragedy of this. Roy Castle, the great Roy Castle, would have been 89 Love today. Roy Castle. He, he would not have been 89. I can't believe this when we realise how old he would have been. I met him about five or six years before he died, and he was a oh. perfect gentleman. He was unbelievable. I've never had the pleasure to meet him. Well, what, what, on what grounds were you meeting him, JT? Can you remember? A friend, a friend of mine was in a show with him, and I picked my friend up um, from the rehearsals, I think it was. Yeah, it would have been the rehearsals. And uh, he came out with Roy Castle. Meet Roy. And I'm like, hi, you were in a Dalek film. Well, that's the same fan you are, aren't you? Oh, you were in a Dalek film. And he went, yeah. As this nobody would know, you know, he was, he was a gentleman, he was lovely because, of course, people were used to recognize him from, from record breakers, uh, predominantly. Yeah, and I, met sure him, I met him in Arden Hobbs, which is a big, used to be a big superstore down where I live, and yeah. uh, he was signing books, uh, record breaker books, and stuff like that. And he signed my book, and that's how I met him. That was a long time ago, though, it really, nice been, yeah. Crimply yeah, really to blue, right? Dedication, that's what you need. Uh, from people <laughs> um, he, he was Roy Castle was absolutely huge here in the 70s. He was, he he was, was. a dancer, a singer, a comedian, an actor, a television presenter, a musician. He played numerous instruments, he was an all rounder. He presented mm. Record Breakers, which was um, a TV show about people breaking records for 20 years. Believe it or not, he broke nine world records himself. Mm -hmm. during the during that 20 year run so he was a nine-time record break himself my yeah. favorite one that they used to always talk about was he he did the fastest tap dance at 1440 <laughs> taps per <laughs> minute 1440 taps per minute and the record That's was right. Better. I'm sure it hasn't because he was he was bloody good. He was at the top of his game, and the, the the one that we all remember, of course, will be the one where they all went round TV Centre. Yeah, uh, and that did that, and of course. Bonnie was in that. She was in the she was in the cast for that. That's right. That's right. So he was so, in so, so, a Carry On movie. Carry On the Kyber. <laughs> One of my favourites. So, yeah. Charlotte, I know you've probably seen the Dalek movie, but how aware are you of a character like Roy Castle? Because I think for the three of us, we can't quite believe that he's been gone for 30 years because oh, this God. was one of the most famous and recognizable people on British TV. Yeah. But was, have yeah. you seen him in other things? Are you how aware no. of Roy Castle now? I was going to say he sounds a bit like Brucey, like he can tap dance, he can Oh yes, very much. Yes. He, yeah. He, yes. he sounds a bit like Brucey and yeah. was. To, yeah. to be fair though, that was that's something that I've had to get used to watching classic because I'm so used to um Nick Briggs as the Dalek mm. voice. So it was so weird when I was first watching all the stuff with obviously multiple different voices. That wasn't just one voice, was there for Daleks back then? Yeah. No. So it it's be, it was weird me sort of going, God, that doesn't sound like a Dalek, Do you know? Yeah. Ah, yeah. I mean. oh, see, that's interesting because I I've got the other way because I don't think Nick Briggs sounds like the Daleks at all. Correct. I mean, 
Roy Skelton is always going to be the main man for me. Uh, and again, he was I somebody else that I had met a few times. So, mm-hmm. it, um, it, you know, no, yeah. So it's interesting. It really is interesting. Yeah. So we have a lovely story here from Crimpling Doubloon, who says, I was oh. in the hospital when I was six, <laughs> and Roy came around giving out cream eggs and Womble chocolate Womble bars. Womble chocolate bar. I used I to love, love them. Chocolate bars. Different Womble on each chocolate yeah. bar. Do you remember? You had to collect them all. I think I needed Madame Chalet. Oh, oh Crimpling Doubloon, that is a knockout. That's lovely. Lo- yeah, that's lovely, gorgeous. Lovely story. Didn't he, did he die of cancer? Yeah, he did. Yeah, I, I'm going to I'm so. going to correct myself actually because because he would have been 89 two two days ago. I apologise. He actually oh. died today, two days after his 62nd birthday. He died just two days after his birthday, which would have been two days ago when he would have been 89. And yes, you're quite right, Ian. Sadly, he died of lung cancer, which he contracted. He always claims from from um, yeah. secondary inhalation. Playing the trumpets in the jazz. Doing cabaret. Yeah, the old yeah, clubs. I said the old clubs. It would have just yeah. been yeah. everywhere, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But he was playing the trumpets in those jazz things where That's everybody right. smoked, Absolutely. and just it's just a haze right. of, of smoke. And, and he was playing the trumpet. Yeah, and it was mm. Roy Castle, of course, that actually pushed the agenda to get yes. smoking banned yes. within indoor yes. spaces. And, right. and for a long time, I don't know whether again people of a certain age, you boys, can remember that there used to be a little sign outside certain venues saying that Roy Castle Clean Air Award or something. Yeah. Because yes. they they banned smoking in that place, I remember so he, that. You know, he he was the one that sort of spearheaded that. Because yeah, I can still remember him dying, and it was it was a huge it's a thing. shock. Yeah, and I think I think the like, nation was shocked. Yeah, even though right we to... knew, even though we knew that he was ill, it was yeah, still yeah, but... a, a, a body blow. And... And I honestly think it actually changed people's perception on on smoking because yeah. people, everybody loved Roy Castle. I don't think there was yeah. anybody that didn't love him. And yeah. so to lose him, and he didn't even smoke, he never smoked. Um, it changed people's yeah. perception, I think, on, on on smoking. So so we salute Roy Castle, who, bless you, you would have been 89 this week. Wow. That we lost you today. Uh, and, uh, and another one who, who um, uh, this is almost finally, Donald Wilson. It's his birthday, oh. Donald Wilson's birthday. And right. we lost him sadly in 2002, um, age, ripe old age of 91. Um, Donald Wilson, really, again, we, we, gosh, we've got a lot of uh, people leaving long shadows over the show actually this week because Donald Wilson leaves one of the very, very longest. He was the head of serials under Sidney Newman. So he was the actual person who commissioned the report that led to the creation of Doctor Who. The whole genesis of the show is all a bit sort of murky and shrouded in mystery and confusion and contradiction. But we know, whatever we do, we know we know it was Sidney Newman, it was uh, C.E. Webber, and it was Donald Wilson. And from what we understand, Donald Wilson was the guy who actually, as I say, put the, put in uh, commissioned the report to get the show commissioned in the first place. And, and also, along with uh, Newman and Webber, uh, Put the first pitch together, the first treatment together for the show. So again, you know, we've we've blessed. We have absolutely got Donald Wilson. We wish Donald Wilson very very happy. What would have been? Uh, how old would he have been? Goodness, he'd be about one hundred and twenty by now. Um, I was just thinking, really looking at that picture, that I haven't seen a pipe in God knows how long. Don't <laughs> see them, do you? No, you don't. It's Not the same when you see David Whittaker. There's that famous photo of David Whittaker typing at a typewriter, and he's got a, a pipe uh, while he's at work. And goodness, yeah. you don't, don't see that, do you? Mm. No, so you I don't. Say, 
Happy, happy birthday to Donald Wilson, I, I would say, because we, we, we thank him because none of us would even be here if it wasn't for Donald Wilson. Probably was he a secret? No, I think that's Brian Wilson, Richard. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Very, very finally for today. Very, very another, another, another sad death today. Delore Whiteman, oh. our very own Auntie Vanessa, died in 2013. And Delore Whiteman, I can't tell you a thing about Delore Whiteman other than she was Australian. She was an enigma. <laughs> People don't even know when she was born. They don't know how old she was. She's a complete enigma. You've tried looking up Delore Whiteman on the internet. There is nothing about her. All I know is that uh, Janet Fielding was a, was a massive friend of hers. Um, I, I don't know, JT, can you remember? Did did they become friends because of Legopolis or were they friends before Legopolis? Um, I think they met through Legopolis, through Doctor I Who, and they, became solid, uh, firm friends for the rest of Dolores, uh, Dolores wife, uh, life there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, But uh, anything you want to know about her, you have to go to Janet because she's quite happy to talk about her at all times and the incident with cars and things like this. Yeah. It's amazing. She's, she, she, I think she had Dolores a career. Was... Apparently she had a career in Australia. You know, yeah. She was in other yeah. films. And oh, television yeah. show, so you know she got this this long career in her native country. Oh yeah, which Doctor Who was was just a an afternoon's recording or whatever it was. Yes. So yeah, but uh, she's a fascinating figure and, and a really memorable character. I think you must Very anybody memorable. who's seen that episode. I remember, like I say, I was just a kid when that was on, and you never got to watch the episode. Although I did get to watch Legopolis twice. I remembered that character, yep. Charlotte. She she stayed oh, with can, me yeah. throughout it's, the time that Janet was on the show. And that's quite that's quite a feat considering Janet isn't exactly forgettable. So, <laughs> so, so the fact that you can remember her auntie as she was in that, and she is quite funny in in those mm. scenes. She does. It's a bit of comedy almost in quite a dire sort of dark, not dark, but sort of like you've said, it's like a funeral march. So it's yeah. almost nice to have that bit of lightness at the beginning of those episodes to sort of break it up a bit before you get to obviously Tom going. I don't, agree. They, don't they have a picture of her in Tegan's room in, enlightenment. Well, in a couple of stories? Yeah, yeah. So in Enlightenment, she's, she's yeah. She's background she's, presence. It's nice. she's, she's back for Enlightenment. Just, and she came in just purely to do a photo shoot uh, so that, yeah, so that they could uh, use her photograph in Enlightenment. But Charlotte's absolutely spot on. She, she's comedy gold but uh, in, in that first episode, but not over the top comedy. It's just, it's just lightness of touch. She yeah. understands the character. You can totally believe that she is the aunt of, of Janet Fielding because actually you're right Charlotte Janet Fielding is, is a, a, a leviathan of an actress of a character and yet she she really Delore Whiteman really holds her own uh and and you can totally believe that they are related and they spark off each other beautifully in those absolutely and it's it's lovely how it's written because of course Aunt Vanessa stays with Tegan throughout her run I mean even in her final moments she's mentioned as yeah. Tegan leaves the TARDIS yeah uh, beautiful sort of circular thing there is just just lovely yeah it's it, i i just I remember just that character so distinctly from watching legopolis and it's part of my love still of, of watching legopolis i could watch her scenes over and over and over again i know every word and every inflection in her face and i never get bored <laughs> of watching her, Bless her heart. so <laughs> we salute I you just, law. Just, to you know, just to let you know i've had a message from chris his yes. connection has completely gone Chris Thank McKeon, you, Chris. He says, thanks for having him on. He's enjoyed oh. it. But, yeah, he's not going to try and connect again. He was trying and trying. There was two. There was two Chris's at one point in the way through. But, yeah, he's he's blipped. He's gone. <laughs> Off into the time and space vortex. Thanks to both of them. <laughs> <laughs> good to see both of them here. Yeah, Thank you yeah. both guys for that. 
Okay, let's yeah, let's head back. Let's head back to the present for for more Doctor Who talk. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back. <laughs> back with Avengers, back to 2020. Traumatized. Well, I say back to 2021. I think we've nearly forgotten. We need to to uh, dip our toes back into the uh, into the into the past again, but not Doctor Who's past. Into television past, mostly. Yeah, mostly the past. Some of it is the distant past, and the not so distant past. Here in the Type 40 ad break, just for you, everybody, a selection of uh, people pimping various time different for items for th from throughout space and time. Time for you to go and get a wee. Yeah, Simon I really can't wait. He's getting a <laughs> long enough. It's not going to be long enough for anything else. Just a wee. So, yeah, <laughs> we'll see you back here after the adverts. Uh, you're going to do what you have to. And if not, just uh, stay here and enjoy the ads. Join the Cyberman army with the Doctor Who voice changer helmet with Cyberman phrases and frightening sound effects. Change your voice to Cyberform with the built-in synthesizer. Doctor Who Cyberman voice changer helmet and sonic screwdriver. From character. Ready? Almost. Relax. You're doing fine. You're not doing so bad yourself. I assure you, it's all down to good investment. Have you used Friends Provident? Friends Provident? <laughs> I'm not in that league. Still saving. They could help you do that too. Look, you should see a specialist. Oh? It's only my financial advisor. Friends Provident? Of course. We've grown big by being recommended. Right now, there's an extraordinary power at work to add a new dimension to your life. So versatile, you can heat the smallest to the largest home. So affordable, all your heating and hot water comes at one new low price, day and night. So controllable, it comes to life at your command, and even responds to the weather forecast. And it can be yours now, with interest-free credit. Simply pre-phone Scottish Power today. It's made for people like you. And this is just the beginning. Talking cars. There's Zed Victor 4. The talking police car with exciting police calls. Mm -hmm. To Zed Victor 4. And the fabulous talking Batmobile with the dynamic bat messages. Step on it, Batman. Watch out! There's even a talking Dalek. Exterminate! Talking cars and talking Dalek from Palatoy. Those beautiful toys, everybody. Every time I see those <laughs> those Palatoy items from the past, oh, my Dalek. I've and never my seen that advert before. Have you not? Wow. I've never seen that advert. I've seen Nor the Denny's fish one loads of times. Never seen the Palatoy talking Dalek. What gets me about it is now is the prices. The Dalek was four pound twenty five, and now you can get it for about one hundred and twenty quid. You know, <laughs> and even then, it's probably broken. It's just amazing. Um, yeah. Magical. Oh, did he fall over? Magical merch, Charlotte. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> oh, he's a, Simon's about to wave something at us, I think. I don't know. He's oh, frozen. Oh, Mitronius. <laughs> <laughs> he's frozen. Look. 
Okay. He's, he's, probably, right. just as well, he's probably gone in his toy box to see what he can All right. Okay. I know what he's doing. a groove in time. We yeah. have a couple of comments here in the chat. I uh, hope Ian had a good week. I Ian, did. Oh, garbage. <laughs> oh, garbage. You have to lower the tone. Oh. You're as bad as him. Four yeah, it's a, it's a £4.25. Yeah. yeah. And the yeah. red ones, the red talking Daleks, uh, go for a little bit more. Hmm. <laughs> Got another comment here saying when I hear the voiceovers, I think of Super Ted. That was John Pert. We of course, John oh, yeah, Super Ted. Yeah. In that advert, that's quite a rare advert. I'd never seen that one. Before he was spotty, either. wasn't he? He was. He was. Yes. Very spotty. I, don't think I was going to say, I never, rec I never recognise any of these adverts you throw up. <laughs> well, a, lot, a lot of us won't. Wow. A lot of us won't either, because some of them go back even further than what we'll yeah, remember. Do, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So every week, I'm like, let's let's see what Dan's found. So I'll, I'll probably not have a clue what it is. <laughs> Relics, relics. Simon has been censored. People are wondering where Simon's gone. Simon's popped off as well. We have had the gremlins in again, definitely yeah, on, on this stream. There's been lots and lots of uh, sound problems and disconnections and whatever else. Mm. But we're glad you've stuck with us. The people who have stuck with us. Yes, it's uh, people He's are coming back. back. People are coming there back. He is. And people are coming back on the panel. Lovely. Simon's back, and he's waving a gorgeous item at us. Let's get him up on screen. Let's let's yeah, see this is all its glory. This is my talking dog. I, I, if you're very lucky, I'll find some. Uh, here we go. Look at yeah, these. fabulous. I've got put the arms on. I'm very impressed. You've still got the box. Even I don't I've have the boxes got, for that one. I'm afraid it's a repro box. It's a repro box. Oh right, okay. I'm putting the little. I'm putting the little piggy bobbles in now. I'm going to find oh. you some batteries and see if he still talks. I haven't actually done this for quite a while. Good luck so I'm to um. I'm going to get some batteries and see if he talks. Hold on. Oh, there we go. What? What? Well, <laughs> this is what oh. they want to see, Dan. This is what yeah. they want to see. I'll get. I'll just vamp while you do that. Have you got some batteries to hand? Yes, he has. I yeah, they're here. Too. They're going in. Look, they're, they're being put in as we speak. Fingers crossed, everybody. This is the moment of truth. I'm praying. No. What an I, have I have the same problem with mine. Um, you put batteries in it and it just won't work. And I'm, I'm starting to believe they've changed the batteries. There's nothing wrong with the Dalek. It's the batteries. You know, the, the plus sign and the negative sign. Do you put it in the right way? That's the question. Oh, yeah, yeah. Put it all right. But uh, yeah, they just, I don't know what's wrong with them. It's just age, I guess, because they are a lot, they are very old. I'm not giving in yet. I'm trying more batteries. Vanessa Law <laughs> watching in the chat says, gorgeous, almost as nice as your jacket, Simon. Thank you, Vanessa. This is my glitter ball jacket, as Dr. Blaze called it. <laughs> and that no, it's definitely not the, working. The last item on our list, the last point of discussion, is another thing that we, we nearly talked about last week, Simon, because this was all over the news last week. We did. And it relates to another classic figure, from the Doctor Who, uh, from the Doctor Who Pantheon of great, I suppose you could say, leading leading lights. I'm not going to say showrunners because it was a different role then, wasn't it? But uh, esteemed creative heads who did who did so much to um, to push the show on, I suppose, to leave their their mark stylistically and on the show and on our childhoods. I'm talking about Philip Hinchcliffe. And just lately, Philip Hinchcliffe is working on a new range for Big Finish of uh, audio stories, which are in the same kind of uh, stylistic uh, groove as his original TV stories. And whenever they release one, of course, there's the odd article here and there with Radio Times or Metro or whoever else. 
And yeah, this was with the Radio Times. They got a hold of Philip just last week. And of course, this being 2021, everybody in the Radio Times being who they are, you know, largely um, continually playing running defence for the Chris Chibnall era and yeah. uh, maintaining this pretense that it's a success and maintaining this, this airy-fairy idea about continuity and canon not mattering and not existing. So they got Philip Hinchcliffe in their sights and they asked him about the Morbius Doctors because the Morbius Doctors, up until a couple of years ago, it was a side to Doctor Who lore, wasn't it, JT, that I think that... Um, it was a JT's curious... not having any of it. Look at him. <laughs> JT's <gonna have> <laughs> not having any. <laughs> it, was no, it was no better or no worse than the unit dating thing, was it? It was a little oh. sideline to Doctor Who history that was a curiosity talked about in books such as this, the discontinuity guide that I'm holding here, wonderful book by Paul Cornell, Martin Day and Keith Topping. But it is the discontinuity guide. Exactly. <laughs> and so it's just one of these little things. Uh, but it's become more widely known amongst Doctor Who circles in the last 18 months, in particular because of what's gone on on screen. But just to go back to what Philip Hinchcliffe said, so they, uh, they asked him, about the whole Morbius Doctor situation. And uh, so this is in the brain of Morbius, the classic Doctor Who story, the main, the brain of Morbius that we're talking about now. So this, this story is something I think that fans generally regard with a huge amount of affection. Originally broadcast in uh, early in 1974, written by Robin Bland, which was uh, Terence Dix. I'm sure we all know the story about that, and directed by Christopher Barry, and a homage to the Frankenstein story, wasn't it? As was the case with most of the stories around that time. Yeah. And in the course of this story, the Doctor does battle with the uh, the disembodied mind of a renegade Time Lord called Morbius, and it reaches yeah. to a head with a mind bending. Oh, to a head. Good one. In right. a, what he did there. a mind bending fight. <laughs> In part four, so if you haven't seen The Brain of Morbius and you just know the legend of the Morbius Doctors, I can't recommend that highly enough. But yeah, Philip Hinchcliffe, of course, he was the original producer of this story responsible for the all the creative sort of nuances of that entire era. And uh, they asked him at Radio Times about this scene with, that's become sort of notorious now, featuring the Morbius Doctors. And uh, he said that originally, yes, uh, Yes, so Hinchcliffe's plan had originally been to feature well-known actors as as doctors. He unequivoc unequivocally says that the characters that we see on screen during the Brain of Morbius, during that mind-bending fight, were meant to be pre-Hartnell doctors, but he intended it to be a throwaway gag. He said that uh, the, these plans were disrupted for having the well-known actors, meaning that a number of production staff, including Hinchcliffe himself, had to pose for these shots. Uh, it says, we suddenly got a call. I think it was one of the production days when we were all in the studio, probably rehearsing. I think it was George Gallico, who was my associate producer, who said they got a problem. And it was all to do with, uh, ha with having equity, having equity cards, people that they wanted to get involved. We couldn't afford to get all those actors in and to pay them all. So we needed as many people as possible down in the photographic studio now and uh, so anybody who was in that day working on the show or could be grabbed during their lunch hour was corralled and marched down to wardrobe. Robert Banks Stewart, for example, happened to be there talking about another script. So he was he was dragged in. 
and we just piled in there and put on some funny hats. And they shoved us in front of the camera, totally on ad hoc. Sorry, but this is the crucial part. It wasn't thought out at all. And I don't think that Bob Holmes, who was the script editor, of course, or any of us had really thought about the repercussions of all of these previous incarnations of the Doctor. We simply hadn't thought about it. So this is something that they did back in 1974 to have a bit of fun with the audience and a little bit of fun themselves. It's it's harmless enough, isn't it, Simon? It's absolutely harmless enough. Um, and And... This, to me, is the whole point of this, which is, as Philip Hinchcliffe says, it was a bit of fun. They didn't think it through properly. Let's be clear about this. What they, what Philip Hinchcliffe was trying to do was just make the best possible television programme he could that was as entertaining as possible for as many people as possible. So it didn't really matter. They didn't think this through. And quite rightly, that as far as I'm concerned, they shouldn't yes. have thought it through. It didn't matter. It's a bit of fun in a fantastic story. And this, to me... Without wanting to go too far into into Chibnall territory, this to me is the is the difference because Philip Hinchcliffe did it because he thought it would just be a fun bit of a fluff really in the television program that would help add to the drama, and he was absolutely right. Whereas Chibnall, on the contrary, just thinks it, that's the whole raison d'être of that particular story that he he just wants to tell this fan fiction story and that to me is the difference one producer is just doing their very best to tell a damn good dramatic piece of television and another one wants to just push their their fan agenda and 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 and, and, and which one is the most professional out of those two you be yeah. the judge on that yeah but it's not just that it was a joke because i watched this story a couple of weeks ago obviously knowing this is the big justification this is yeah. the big thing that Chibnall went look 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 i'm right yeah and um i watched it knowing that and actually if you look at the script if you listen to half of the dialogue said by the yes. doctor character they, yeah. it's like they put in little things in the script that you can it was almost discounting the faces that they were going to use in the future because he has a whole line about how putting Morbius's brain into that fishbowl thing is basically, <laughs> it's, it's unstable. He didn't want to yeah. do it originally in the character because he even says to him, oh, I didn't, I didn't go through with it. It's a prototype because I thought it, it would cause you more damage. So yeah. as soon as I heard that line, I just went, right, there you go. They're not doctors. It's an hallucination. There's, there's lots of ambiguity in the script, isn't there, Charlotte? I, yeah, I agree. That, that, that's Little what moments. They, that, I think that's what they've done on purpose in that script. It's almost like, that's what makes me laugh when I hear oh, it was a joke. And I, and I almost think, was it, though? Because you almost put stuff in there to basically, like I said, like even if think about Morbius has gone mad, he's been, he's been in, in a tube for God knows how long. Absolutely. He's, he died, he got destroyed, he's come back from the dead. There's so many things how in the story. Together, how together is his mind, Charlotte? Because the Doctor taunts him at one point, doesn't he? That, you know, you used to be, you used to be really formidable. That was your time. Time has passed. The Doctor was in the prime of his life. But another yeah, reason why, I, as much as we all enjoy knocking Chris Chibnall, <laughs> that's not the only reason why I thought it was, it, this was good ground to talk about this. Because last week, we all talked at some length about showrunners, about possibilities and about rumours. And it seemed to me that you raised a point there, Simon, about the fact that the next showrunner shouldn't be a fan. And I, I argued quite uh, quite strongly for the options for somebody like Pete McTee, for example, who is a fan. But then when I thought, when I rewatched this this week, 
and thought about it. Philip Hinchcliffe, he came into the show as a young man. He was only 28, 29 when he, when he produced this. He'd worked on The Jensen Code before as a producer, and that was pretty much it. And he, obviously he was aware of Doctor Who, because who wasn't? But he wasn't, he wasn't a fan. So what he did with this was, it was a, a, a spirit of creativity, wasn't it, JT? A spirit of... of um, extending the mythos and, and having fun and just amusing the audience in a well, given moment. So how, and, and we were relatively early still. This is just 1974. The show had only been on for 11 years. So early in the mythos. So whatever the intention was back in 74, now 47 years later, to use this one scene that's less than two minutes to wholesale march in a load of agenda, it's never going to wash, is it, JT? <laughs> um, all right, okay. Go over to you. Let's sit back and relax, everybody. <laughs> this is utter bollocks. The whole thing is utter nonsense, and it shows Chibnall's complete and utter laziness. Why would you go back and reference a teeny weeny, teeny weeny part of a story which is 40 odd years old? Absolute nonsense. Now, listen, when the Brain of Morbius was, came out, I was what, six, seven years old? And that scene made perfect sense to me. And I will explain why it made perfect sense to me, even today, because it's in the dialogue and it's in the way of the performance. There's a wrestling match going on. It's a mind wrestling. It's a Time Lord game. Morbius is a Time Lord. He's a Time Lord that has used up all his regenerations because he's lived for eons before the Doctor. Okay? So baby Doctor's come along and uh, Morbius is well gone. So here you've got this wrestling game. You've got the, the, the ancient Time Lord with the Doctor, and they are wrestling. And there's a beautiful line in there which can explain this very easily. How long, Doctor, how long have you lived? And you see the four faces of the Doctor, and then suddenly you see all these other faces. As a six, seven-year-old, six-year-old, I would have been, I automatically assumed that's Morbius because he's lived longer than the Doctor. End and of story. I don't know what the fuss is about. And he's taunting the Doctor as if to say, sort of respect your elders, <laughs> well, no, he's winning. He's winning the, well, the wrestling because the, the, the mind the mind wrestle is between the... The Doctor's a youngster. He's a baby right. compared to Morbius. Yeah. And, and Morbius like, is taunting like Morbius, him because he's winning. Morbius is trying to teach him a lesson, teach him how this mind... And he does. Well, yeah, yeah. How, does the, how does the wrestling match end? The well, Doctor also, practically exactly. is dead. That, that's, that's, you know that's, what, right? I, I actually agree with um, JT. I, when I first saw it, I don't know how old I was, I thought that was the um, regenerations of Morbius. I never, ever connected it to the Doctor but at all. This is the sadness of Chibnall. And, and, the, and the only... Because I, of course, as every space booker will know, I didn't watch Chibnall's era. It's a pile of poo. It's a pile of poo. I'm not going to waste my time. I've got my hair to wash and I've got other things to do. Thank you, problem being. Love you. Um, and, and, you know, when I heard about this, I thought that is... The only thing he's done is it's exactly tied in with this children thing that he brought in. He's justifying the, the fact... That he, in his eyes, the Doctor must not be 12 white males. That is not allowed. He's had to have a female in there. Then he's had to bring in, allegedly, a black female in there. And then he's had all these other inclinations. So he's tied it all in to justify his absolute petty, small idea that the Doctor must just not be 12 so, males. And the, End of and, that. And, and the way I've always looked at it, I, and certainly I looked at it as a child. Again, I was how old? Like, <laughs> something like that. I, I looked at it the same then as I looked at it now. As we've said, 
Morbius loses the fight. And so it's obvious that those faces are Morbius's because he's the one that is being pushed back to the point at which he loses. So it would be nonsensical if the face is to be the doctor's, if the doctor then wins and Morbius is the one that loses. It's basically, it's a, it's a mental arm wrestling match. And an That's arm wrestling match can look as though somebody is about to win and it looks like they're winning, but then literally they get turned over at yeah. the last second. And that's yeah. what this this is. He gets and turned like, over at the last second. Like, and Alan Collins, like Alan Collins here says, watching in the chat, says Morbius was just unaware he was losing Absolutely. the game. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, I mean, and, and, and in, in any wrestling game, you know, if you want, I mean, we always knew that the wrestling world of sport on a Saturday afternoon, at a certain age, we would get to a certain age and go, oh, this is all fixed. <laughs> and, but, you know, that's the whole point about the wrestling. It was the power mat. And in the performance, you've got Tom sweating buckets yes. with his mental energy, yes. beautiful, tense, really powerful performance. And because he's not actually speaking in it, it comes across more because he's not doing anything in that scene as an actor. He's actually really going for it. Morbius that is the one on the Hi, defensive. He's the one that's constantly yeah. telling the Doctor to go back and exactly, move. Exactly, exactly. But so even Stuart's goes. performance uh, side, even Stuart's performance is tense in that bloody thing he had to wear, which I saw in Blackpool yeah, right. that very year. And even as a seven-year-old, a six, seven-year-old, I'm thinking, how the hell does anyone get in that? Because it was a big bulky thing. Yeah, but awesome. even in that performance, you can see Stuart, they, they've rehearsed it beautifully and they perform it beautifully. And to do what this idiot Chibnall has done takes away that whole element of that performance and that rehearsal and that hard work put into that so that the doctor and that uh, the Mobius creature is actually are actually wrestling and I'm so glad I didn't see any of this bullshit because for me it doesn't actually compute it it doesn't ha affect me at all it's not there yeah, a comment here, this, JT. This... sorry Charlotte we have a comment here from Sadako 24 who said Mark Platt's Longbarrow made out they were past incarnations too Longbarrow is a terrible book though that's the that's it's a terrible book and, and does it count not no. really no, Charlotte, sorry, what are you going to say? No, I, all I'm going to say is the conversation we're having now proves why this was a bad idea to begin with. Because you have to go all the way back, you have to watch this episode, and there'll be fans of my age who have never watched classic, who don't have an interest in watching classic, who would have watched this story and well, gone... How dare they? What on earth are those faces? No, but there are fans like that. So Chibnall is. When you say watch this story, you mean who would have seen? Who would have seen this? Who would have seen the time yes. of children? Uh, you see, I, I can turn around and say, "What the hell is that?" Because I don't know, recognize any of that. It looks like yes, something from Star Wars. Who would have no, seen but... this story? So let's just recap for the people out there who who did see it, though that this was a scene where where the where they insist that Joda Whittaker play the doctor. Is she hula hooping? Joda Whittaker plays climbing frame in the prison. playground was imprisoned by the master and gets taunted and dictated, narrated this chain of events. And as uh, she goes into a sort of a crisis where she gets his head rush and remembers all past incarnations, all memories, including this scene, Chris Chibnall sl uh, sort of slides it in there, which right. I took as an insult to my intelligence, an insult to my fandom, to my commitment to this show and a giant, he was flipping off the entire fandom with this. Absolutely deplorable. Yeah. But, yeah. But what I but back back to more sort of trying to sort of regain my composure a little. What I what I notice about it more so is kind of is what you were saying there, Charlotte. I'm thinking about the people out there who've who've never seen the brain of Morbius or yeah. haven't seen it for decades. What must they it's just mumbo jumbo. Well just as you were saying I, I, I saw it recently and I came to the conclusion that it wasn't the the other doctors, it was 
coming from Morbius, and that was his regeneration stuff. That's why I think that's how I conclusion I came to. But you yeah, know. but here's the thing: in any good story, should stand by its own. You shouldn't have to rely on past canon or Correct. past stories to make Correct. yours make sense. And that is where yeah. Tegel ultimately fails because he can't create his own story of any interest. He has to go back. He has to go, oh, look, look at this old story that I I think, honestly, in his head, he thinks yeah. he's completing something yeah. that was unfinished. I think Oh, he is because he's mental. <laughs> well, I mean, the other, reason, the other reason I actually find it annoying anyway is because... I don't want it explaining. I want to be allowed to have my own interpretation of that scene. And if there are Doctor Who fans out there, including classic fans, that actually see it as, yeah, those are pictures of the faces of the Doctor, fine. That's your interpretation. We're, we're all allowed to have our own interpretation. So I find it really, A, insulting and B, irritating that I have to have it explained to me, which now debases what I've believed for the past how many decades and, yeah. and there's no need for that let us have our own interpretation why does everything have to be explained and clarified for you but it, but it's also the fact that you know had the viewing public have been watching this crap which they weren't by this point as we all know they would have been even more lost by this because the viewing public wouldn't have been able to access something 40-something years ago. They certainly wouldn't have cared about something 40 something. They wouldn't have got that reference there no. uh, to what this is going on. But it no. also, it, again, it just shows Chibnall, Chibnall's inability. And at the time, what Charlotte's saying there, you know, I totally agree with it. This is why I don't like constant references in the, in the series. You know, coming from the Tom Baker era, as I did, everything moved on. Every four weeks, you had a brand new story. It moved it on. It moved it on. Yes, we had some continuity references with John, with J&T. Um, but I think the new version of Doctor Who, especially since the Moffat era, has done more of it. And, and I don't think you should necessarily, because you I have agree. to build new things constantly. What Chibnall has failed to do there is exactly that. He hasn't given anything brand new to the legacy. Nothing at all apart from a failed, the most unpopular era of Doctor Who in its over 50-year history. That's because um, that's because of what you call it. He wanted to give the, 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 the finger to the fans. Uh, it's I think, not just I think that. It's because he had, right. that. he had that whole virtue right. signaling agenda. He had to yeah. prove that the Doctor wasn't just 12 white men. Yeah, he had, the Doctor had to represent all aspects of British and, 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 and Earth society. So he, and the, the Doctor is... And it would have, have been one thing to include it in a bit of throwaway dialogue because we sometimes got this in, in particularly the Moffat era, just as you said, JT. And sometimes that was a little on the, too on the nose for me, but I knew that it would pass mm. people by. And, it, and in, in some instances, in Moffat's time, it was still open to interpretation. He, he leaves nothing open to interpretation. By putting in the actual footage, he is effectively saying, ha, I yeah. have decided that this yeah. is this interpretation stands I agree. I have decided this is part of continuity. No matter what your head can is, no matter about the um, the ambiguity, the romance of of before, whatever you've had in your head for forty five years, I have decided that what and that's I what feel I find insulting. What I need is more important than one Doctor Who needs, and what the the casual audience needs, and, and what, what the I, BBC what needs to, as well with their agenda. About, what <sighs> I wanted to talk about uh, as regards this scene, though, is um. We, we, we talk about Hinchcliffe and that spirit of making television that was still a little bit sort of make to amend and guerrilla filmmaking on the fly, grab whoever's around at lunchtime. We hear stories like that about the way the BBC used to work and it 
it can't help but make you smile. Yeah. Because they were making it, you know, I won't say it was cutting edge TV, but it was TV. Well, it was. Had, it it was, was TV that had its parameters. So, and that was then. It was only ever done to get the show on air quickly, cheaply, and to amuse people. I won't say they didn't know any better, but the remit was different. Now, and, and of course, and Hinchcliffe wasn't a fan, and he could never have foresaw the fact that this modern mythology would stretch on all these decades. No, but none of them are, did. But here we are in 2021, and we talk about showrunners, and we talk about whether the new guy or girl who may come in to run this show should be a fan or not, and the wisdom of, I mean, I maintain that Russell T. Davies and having a fan to bring it back was absolutely essential originally. And, you know, I think it's up for debate with Stephen Moffat. I don't know. I think he was probably was the right man at the right time. But going forward, Simon, when I think about your argument and how Chris Chibnall has not just, not just flipped off the fans, as, as Ian was described, not just used this as a way of stamping down uh, and talking down to older school fans, but I think what's more important is that he, he's used it and put it at the centre, something that is largely inconsequential to the majority of the people watching it. And he's used it to create a barrier between the show and the audience here and, and now in 2021. That means that people will not come back when the show comes back in a few weeks' time. So. And, isn't that, and isn't that shocking when you think about it, that you're basically putting a barrier between your yeah. show and your audience, because that wasn't what Philip Hinchcliffe was doing, like it I said earlier. Philip Hinchcliffe just wanted to create a damned good piece of television drama and get it on the screen, and that's what he did. It, and, means, and that's why it means, JT, that not only could a third fan on the trot running this show have been at fault as a, as a call, but certainly that Chris Chibnall was the wrong man. For this, yes, for this. yeah, yeah, but he bearing in mind that they started to talk to him after the, the immense success of Broadchurch One, uh, and time to I mean, none of them were going to see what was going what could happen, um, until well, obviously, Wenger and Moore did know what he had in mind, but they didn't realize that he couldn't write and he couldn't produce a show and he couldn't run it properly and he would alienate the fans and he would alienate the public. They couldn't have foreseen that because they you have to have faith in whoever you hire and listen to their ideas. Um, I, I don't care if the, the next production team are fans or not, as long as they can do a damn good show that brings fans back and brings, more importantly, yeah, the British public back. Yeah, fair point. I suppose yeah, I you agree. could argue as well, as well, Charlotte. I know you've, you've, got to, you've got to skip off, but yeah. as regards making, making a future for, for this show, whether it's however long it could feasibly last, the time for picking the law clean to do for these cheap little tricks that's that can't be indulged anymore can it no I, and i think just and this will be the last thing i sort of say i think if i was the bbc that would be the first thing i'd say to the next showrunner i'd say just the doctor adventures go out in space have fun like don't yeah if, if don't concentrate on canon if you have to keep it to the bare 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 basics and then if and if, if I if I got any hint that they were doing that, that's when I would get them in a room and say, What are you doing? So that sort of would be my reason. So the, the bigger you. problem is of course that BBC Studios don't understand the canon of Doctor Who either because all the staff have changed over the many, many years. See Charlotte. Um so they don't understand what canon is to the show either. But you know, um it doesn't really matter. And and and, and you are you're gonna be employed 
um, to produce a television show to fit a certain slot on a certain day with a certain budget, with a, with a certain um, a, a, you know outline to say, well, we want Doctor Who. So the only, the only, I've always said this, the only canon that you actually need to do is the police box, the TARDIS being bigger on the inside than outside, the Doctor himself, that's the Daleks, and that's it, even the Cybermen. And, and that's all you really need, and then you've got to go for it. The rest is up for grabs. Mm, I agree. I agree. And 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 garbage says I, I can see in the chat says basically yeah in in a few words what I was trying to say which is Philip wanted to create a good episode, Chibs wanted to destroy history, and that's it. That that is it's that's what it boils down to. And which oh, would you rather have, to, history being destroyed or just a damned good episode? I know what just I've good stories. Just, I mean, I've said it. I've said it before on this show. I, I genuinely believe that Chibnall went out to. Um, to, to, to hurt the fan base and he's done a fantastic job of it. That's the only good thing out of this job he's actually done. He, he achieved the division in fan base, which may not be able to be put back together as quickly as we hope. As as a bunch of old fans now, the, the guys who sat sat here fans. Fans. people who've been watching the show for a long time and you know we are the, the from the classic era. But over the years and part of classic fandom I think JT and Simon in particular you'll remember this, that, that up until quite recently, you know, for all that we've said about the Morbius Doctors, and, you know, a lot of us have got strong feelings about it, and maybe always have, th this has been the kind of topic, but there's a reason why this is included in the discontinuity guidebook, because in times past, now we live in an age where the fandom has been set against itself. It's divided, and people are arguing to ridiculous extents uh, and not thinking about the things that have brought us all together. They're fixating on different readings of, of this. But back in the day, these little points, such as the Morbius Doctors, such as the unit dating thing, we would uh, bicker a little about it and we'd all create our different headcanon and play it off against each other's headcanon and, and, and sort of have fun with that. That's maybe the fun. Get into, maybe even get into arguments about it, Simon. Yeah. But yeah. At, once the conversation was played out, JT... Everybody had all had, had fun with it. We were able to put the toys back in the box. What was on screen was still on screen, still up for debate, still up for interpretation, and still and still loose. And that was the fun. I think that every fan theory that I've ever had, ever heard or read about the Morbius Doctors was a lot more fun than the one that's been put on screen 40 years later. And isn't it right. sad? Isn't it sad that basically it's drained the fun out of that Morbius scene now? It's no longer fun. because no, every it time doesn't. That well, that's what well, I mean. You know what I mean? What I mean is every time I watch that Morbius scene now, I'm irritated by Chibnall. <laughs> Because I can't stop thinking about what Chibnall's done to it. And you see, that's 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 where I'm very lucky because I only know from you guys. I haven't actually seen it, so therefore it doesn't it doesn't count. I, and I, I, so I can enjoy Morbius. I I th I I think, as I said, I think I just smacked it out of my my head. And you know what? Right, I can enjoy classic. I can enjoy new Who, but this stuff I won't touch. I won't touch mm -hmm. it at all. So mm -hmm. you know, for me, let's just hope that good. the next production team. Uh, I, I'm not too f worried about this nonsense because I think it's actually going to be forgotten. I think the next production team will come to and just say, let's brush that under the carpet, reboot, reboot, refresh, and off we go. And that's that's the common sense approach. And Type 40 mm -hmm. here, we are the, the home of uh, common sense for Doctor Who. So if there, any production team of the future is watching, that's what you've got to do. But I think that will or, be forgotten. I think it will be forgotten. Yeah, and I think it will be a case of, um, you know, it's not going to count. 
It's not going to count. I, well, and, and yeah, as a sort of final word from me on this, I can see Daniel Leach has put a comment in the in the um, in the chat saying it's done. Sadly, I will never recover. Well, I, I agree will. that it's done, but you will recover. It doesn't matter that it's done. Like JT, like you've just said, it will be forgotten. It won't matter. It doesn't matter. It's nothing. It does it. Does it matter that in I don't know the war machines, Wotan ends up calling the Doctor Doctor Who? That was done. It doesn't matter. It Top doesn't matter. Day. Ignore that. It's, it's Absolutely. Not I think right. if they when if they bring it back, I think they should just um, not even make a reference to yeah, it at all. Yeah, just ignore it. Yeah. Well, that's that's the beauty of Russell. Russell didn't want a reference to the previous version of Doctor Who, and he and was it was it was actually Julie that pushed him to say, "Well, look, let's let's do that." And, 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 and when you think about it, the the reference did not come until Christmas Day yeah. with the next Doctor. And that mm -hmm. was a present to the fans to say, well, actually, it, you know, we're going to give this to you. That was the first official reference to the previous Doctors. Mm -hmm. And that was Russell's rest. And, and re in retrospect, he was absolutely 100% right not to do that. And that's what they'll do again. Yeah. I've got, a, I've got a question here in the chat, which I just wanted to answer. Sadako24 asked me, question for Dan. Before <laughs> the timeless children happened, did you have a better opinion of the Jody era so far? I've got a simple answer for that, Sadako24. Absolutely not. I thought no. it was it was diabolical almost from the beginning. This was it jumped the shark with an episode called Fugitive of the Judean, which was written by Vin yeah. Tell and, Ch and Chris Chibnall. That was the moment for me where it had come it had jumped the shark. Uh, of course, Doctor Who being Doctor Who. What does jump the shark mean? Being about it's, being um... about being about time travel. Doctor Who jump. had to be the show that could jump the shark twice. The time yeah, jump the shark. Sorry. Deeply upset me. Wanted to explain. And, and insulted me. Well, I'll get around to that in a moment. I do feel it's yeah. important to, to just clarify this. So, yes, it, it just reinforced what I felt four or five weeks later. Fugitive of the Jadoon kind of unplugged me from it. And with the Timeless Children, I felt like I'd been slapped about the face. Yeah, so do you I want to explain the, explain the Jump the Sharks thing then? Uh... Jump the Shark comes from the um, Happy Days. There was an Happy Days episode where um, basically Fonz um, was, there was a bet and he had to jump um, <laughs> to, yeah, on his water skis and he had to jump from one place to the other and a shark was in between. So when he did that, that indicated that the show was absolutely going off the rails. It was completely uh, nothing was, to do uh, with it. It was eating yeah. itself. The show yeah, was eating itself. Enough word. So that kind of uh, that coin coins when a TV show is is not true to its true nature. That's ridiculous. I've never heard of that before. And I, and well, I agree, it's there. I agree with you, Dan. No, no, the the the, the Jodie Whittaker. Chibnall, Chris Chibnall era. No, it was it was dreadful up until the point. It was it was already dreadful. Yeah, the timeless children, if anything, just sort of clarified in my mind. It justified to me why I thought it was dreadful. It actually made me feel a bit better about hating the era, if you know what I mean. Because suddenly I thought, no, actually, it really is rubbish. The and first this... episode what got me, mate. The first episode I just thought was absolute trash, and from that moment yeah, on, I, I knew it was, I I knew it was going downhill. I knew it was going downhill from that totally point. I, think, yeah. I wonder if um, I wonder if Henry Winkler is available for Jaws Five. <laughs> you know what? He's a great actor. I've seen him in that show, Barry. He's brilliant. Absolutely. Just making a note. I yeah. think had the series had they had they've done not just this, not just this, but had they mm. done all of it. And the series being of, I mean, we'll never know the answer to this, so I'll never be able to tell you conclusively. But had they done all that, and uh, but delivered a show, tw 20, 20, tw uh, two episodes now, of 
of uh, taught, compelling, imaginative, pacey storytelling, fantasy storytelling that that had propelled the series on, and that the general public had responded to. I'd like to think that I would have been big enough to take a few steps back and be and just be grateful that Doctor Who had. Uh, uh, this inf- inf- infusion of new life and new energy and was moving forward, even if it was in a way which I would never have chosen for it. Mm. And we'll never, I think we'll never know the answer to that one now. I'll mm. never be in that situation because, you know, they they took it over. They employed the gimmick. They made all these things happen. They told these particular stories. It was all fucking awful, almost from week one. It hasn't mattered. It, nobody has really talked about it in in any kind of creative or stimulating way since week three with Rosa. It's been downhill as uh, culturally and creatively ever since. That was nearly three years ago, three years and a couple of weeks' time. Mm. You know, so it's, it's a lot long. The, the, the whole book, you know, it's been closing on it for a while. And whilst I think that continuity and law and canon, Doctor Who absolutely does have a canon. Do, yes, does have a canon, and I think those things are a strength. And good writers will, will use them as tools and as strengths to aid to aid their storytelling if need be. But they should be supported by that. That it's there if they need it, and not if they don't. Absolutely. But yeah. the most important thing is that relationship with the viewing public, which includes us. It, it doesn't exclude us, and that's the big yeah. difference. We were, we have been. They have, he has gone out of his way, JT to exclude us and how can one not take something that has been done personally to us personally uh, I, well that that will come i mean we've all turned our back on this era they have been they have gone they are they have gone they finished uh, i think they i think the golden wrap is this month is it not september yeah. so they, they, they've yeah. gone they're, they're out the door goodbye the the, re, the process of healing and, and renewal <coughs> is there but a brilliant example to time what you're saying there dan of a, a beautiful way to uh, actually do something which is canical or, 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 or continue that continuity or however you want to do this is the stolen earth in that beautiful moment where Davros recognizes Sarah that's all you do it was played beautifully it was written beautifully and it was very quick and that's how you build on something that was given to you 40 years ago you don't need to do anything more well remember right think about that Simon I, just, Simon I just have to think about that moment and the chills and the thing is it is it's incidental details like that that build and enrich a story and the problem is as you've just alluded to there Dan is the problem with the timeless children is that, that the whole point of that episode was merely merely to use that Morbius clip to justify as we've said about why the doctor was not William Hart was not the first doctor because and that's not how you should be writing a story. You shouldn't be coming from that. They weren't coming from that perspective with the brain of Morbis. They were coming from the perspective of what's going to make a damned good story. And yeah, that but that's the point, isn't it? That's the point, isn't it, Simon, that in, in the classic, they created stories and they weren't Correct. relying on what happened in the past. They kept creating stories no, and moving forward moving and moving on. forward. forward. Moving yeah. But yeah. With, with Chibnall, it's obvious Chibnall copied everything from, from Moff, the Moff era to, yeah. to the Russell T era and because he had no new ideas Absolutely. to present. Absolutely. Yeah. And, the, and the, that's the, what destroyed it. Well, the problem is, as well, if, you are, if you're always hearkening back to the past and i i keep going on about the tom era because it did have something new every four or six weeks you're not creating 
a legacy for the future um, right. you know you know i mean the reason that they can hark back to, to the past so much is because it was fresh and it was new and it was different and it was exciting and it was vibrant back then that's why they've got mm. all that beautiful stuff to work for but what have they just handed a generation in 50 years time bugger all to be quite honest there's nothing i would say in modern well actually the the, the angels may may reappear in 25 years time 30 yeah. years time but yeah. has the British public actually resonated with anything so much now in the in the in the world we live in now? Yeah. I can't see it personally. No. Mm. Yeah, we're looking at a picture now on screen as a as a palette cleanser, as a white pill. We see the wonderful Tom Baker as the fourth Doctor there in the nineteen seventy six story, The Brain of Morbius. Just a slip of the tongue. Uh, the people who do corrected me. The nineteen seventy six story, The Brain of Morbius, there with uh, the. Uh, Little bust of Morbius himself, just a, with, a with one of his faces, with one of the Morbius faces. Let's Perfect. face it, that's one of Morbius's incarnations. That he was a time lord. It's a that always reminds me of the video. <laughs> yeah, because that was the cover, wasn't it? That was the cover, yeah, for years. <laughs> it was the. It's funny Morbius. because yeah. you know um, the doctors in those times, none of them had uh, had reincarnated into a woman. None of them. It wasn't thought about in those days either because that's exactly. not the world we were living in. Yeah. Uh, and although Tom came up with the joke in 1981 and then John brought it out because it got him instant publicity, uh, you know, John never really seriously considered it. Never seriously. Mm. He, he, he never did. Let's never. Rewind that a little bit. As, as, the man, as the man says, joke, everybody. It was yeah. just a joke. Yeah. And, 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 and it's, it's just been proved to be one, hasn't it? Let's face it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Tom looks great, says Cam Cam, watching on YouTube. Tom always looks great. He looks great now. You know, he looks great yeah. for a man of his years. Anyway, still sparkling if you, if you look in his eyes. Got a oh, comment yes. here from Cody W1. No canon removes any incentive to invest. Why invest yeah. in something that will change what you're watching to suit itself at any given moment? Somebody, somebody said that to me a few years ago. It really stuck with me. Yeah. Um, cultish bait and switch we have here from Richard Fox. Yep, certainly is. Um, it's not only embarrassing, it's criminal, says Problem yeah. B. Well, so do you know, PB, they've paid the price now. They've paid the price because mm. they are out of there right now. If you have been affected by any... Oh, no, matron, if, yeah. if you have been affected <laughs> by any of the cultural vandalism that's been done to Doctor Who under the Chris Chibnall era, and like Daniel Leach that was watching in the chat, you struggle to watch some of these stories. I believe that Simon's correct, that everything will come out in the wash one way or another. It will. it will. It will. And I think that's and that's something that the fandom we can do for one another, you know, all of us here, all of you out there, and uh, you know, find find the good stuff and and uh, I, I suppose uh, look after the show the way that we did in the wilderness years, which is a strange thing to say, JT, when it's still on bloody screen, still in well, actually <laughs> no, it's not no, I mean it's not in production anymore, is it? It's going I, I mean, I, I, two I, weeks' time. It's been in the wilderness years for me since 2017, because as I've said before, the Doctor for me is still in the snow, about to go undergo a regeneration. That's where I've left the Doctor. Mm. Uh, and I haven't seen anything since and have no intention of seeing anything does, since until it I mean, comes back to my satisfaction. <laughs> I mean, doesn't that photo, that photo that you, uh, of the brain of Morris said, that if you didn't know anything at all about what that photo was from and you just saw that photo randomly, wouldn't you immediately think, wow, that looks interesting. I want to watch that. I mean, anything that from is, but I'm intrigued. Anything from those eras, especially the things that Clayton does as well when he does the colour, and anything with Tom there, uh, even to this day, screams, as I've said before, to the, even to the public here, it says, that's Doctor Who. I mean, Tom was that powerful in the role. 
That's Doctor Who. And as I say, it just says, watch me. That sh- fo- photo just says, watch me. Well, that's why Tom's um, Tom's DVD, VHS, DVDs, and now Blu-ray sell more than the other Doctors. Pertwee's the very second closest we know, but it's always Tom with the general public. Tom, Tom, yeah. Tom, Tom. Uh, yeah, mentioned... he's in the conscious, isn't he? Yeah, the is yeah he was I- iconic. Doctor yeah. Who in his scarf. So, yeah, mm. I, I know the, the whole... Mo- I'd like to think that we can go back to, to having fun with ideas like the Morbius Doctors eventually, but I think it'll take a while because it, it has soured us a little. But something that hasn't soured with us, you mentioned him a moment ago, is the work of Clayton Hickman. And I just wanted to put this up on screen. Here we go. This picture pretty from Clayton, Clayton Hickman. Yeah, this is our first pretty picture. We're going to finish off. This is an image. We've got to credit this to Daniel Dressner, who, who uh, had this picture originally. He's, it's his picture from the opening of the Doctor Who exhibition at Blackpool back yeah. in this... When back was... Uh, when was that? 74. 74, yeah. This is back yeah. in 1974. I love it. Taken in black and white. It only existed in black and white. Clayton Hickman's gone in there, worked his magic. We now have this colorized image there of Liz Slade and John Pertwee and Alpha Centaur right there at the opening of the Blackpool exhibition. That's brilliant, that is. I've never seen that photo before in my entire life. That must be a private photograph, um, maybe from Daniel, because I've I've never seen that one before. And so the color as well. That's you can fantastic. see it in Blackpool Revisited, which is the new ebook from Alex Stora and John Collier and Friends, the Exhibition Army, that was released just last week as a free ebook to download 600 pages worth of uh, gorgeous Doctor Who memories, not just of the Blackpool Doctor Who exhibition, but the one that came after and everything that was going on sort of parallel to it. It's a, a wonderful work. And you can find our podcast where we talk to John and Alex. That's up on the channel in the playlists too. And I don't think it would be a Type 40 live stream, Ian, if we didn't mm. take a look at what the Prydonian was up to. Again, mm-hmm. this gives Of course. It's, it's more Daleks. So many Daleks that no, this really? guy's working on. I mean, this one, this one is just... Oh, Whoa. Whoa, that's really good. I love that's the little the guns yet. at the bottom as well. Those guns are amazing. Two Daleks. <laughs> Sorry, that in. sounds rude. <laughs> <laughs> Get your guns out. JT, what are the official names for these round things we see the Daleks? Hoverbots. Hoverbots. Hoverbots, that's it. Hover, hoverbots, hoverbots. Yeah, I knew there was. I knew there was a name for them. So they originated in the TV Century Twenty One comics again, didn't they? Yeah, really, yeah. really I, lovely. We talked, stuff. we talked about these last week. I'm wondering whether mm. uh, I'm wondering whether the Bredonian saw our show and because uh, we were praising his hoverbouts last week. So, so <laughs> <laughs> I think he's. I think he's well ahead of us. I love the fact on that picture. Did you notice that the guns on the hoverbout are um, are the uh, same guns or very similar guns to the special weapons Dalek? Oh, mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, I knew I'd seen them somewhere before. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. Beautiful. Job. That's magnificent. That's the, love- that's the show I want to see. Yeah, I love how yeah. gently the lights gently hum blue there, Ian, and, and of course the Daleks mm. have got blue blue hemispheres there on those particular Daleks. They've got two eyes there. Got one on a Dalek and one on the hover yeah. hoverbot. <laughs> yeah. You know what are they looking at? <laughs> I can look, left, I can look right. They are looking forward. at their kill. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's really they look nice. Mean, don't they? They do look those. They, they do look mean in that shot. They do. They look like they're mean business. They should bring it. They should bring it in, in back, or is it into the show? That well, yeah. not the Jody one. You never know what might happen in the one. future. Yeah, yeah, yeah the future. you never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They I, I have to be honest. When 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 they first screened Dalek, the Robert Sherman um, mm. story, I was really disappointed that the Dalek just that the Dalek just 
levitates like that. I didn't want yeah. it to do it. I wanted a hoverbout. That's what I wanted. I liked the hoverbout. Even even in the 50th, they didn't have them. They were just flying, yeah. weren't they? So, yeah. No, hang on. No, they had a, they had a gunship. They had a, they had like a, a mm. mod-day equivalent. Remember, at the, at the very first, it was this flying thing that yeah, came yeah, through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were all little ones in it, so there was a social yeah. station thing. But I can't I was, remember because I don't watch it recently. I was disappointed that the Daleks now just sort of do this, whizzing through. I don't want them to do what, that. that? Uh, I don't want them to do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, the one stuck in your ways. That's what you are stuck in your I'm ways. Uh, we've got a comment here. We that is a that's a dash cam. For insurance purposes. <laughs> Very good. Patrick says, I would love to see a retro futurist style on on New Who. I think that the Daleks are up for up for a real a real revision. Do you know there's a thing there? Can I ask this as well? Can we really keep calling this show New Who? It's 17 years old. Can we get over that? It's not new anymore. <laughs> yeah, but it's a distinguished between. I think, I think we have to call it now uh, the 2005 to 2020, 2021 oh, series. That's a bit of a mouthful, JT. That. No, because no, it's it's ending. It's going out of production. It's ending. That's what will they call the next version? No, it's too mouthy. It's too mouthy. It's too, too mouthy. <laughs> well, we yeah. need we need to know what will people call it because we can't call well, it new. Call it new <laughs> and shit. That's what we call them. Okay, <laughs> right. Plastic well, new I, and crap. Yeah. Right. Well, I've, explained this, I've explained this to you before. We have between 1963 and 1996, we have Classic Who. Between 2005 and 2017, we have New Who. And then from 2018 <laughs> to now, we have Not Who. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting uh, discussion, though, when a, when a new version eventually arrives in whatever mm. format and whenever it does, because well, no, no. certain fans are going to go, ah! Blue well, I can't wait. Personally. I agree, JT. I always hated the name New Who. So yeah. Hello, Blue Bonnet. Blue Bonnet. Who uh, Listen, it's getting too late. I can't talk. Hello there. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna turn in now, everybody. But I've got one last image I wanted to put up on screen. With more Daleks for a start. We've got this. I don't know if you have ever seen this before. This nope. is the this is the comic book artist that you might have seen. He's working two thousand AD and Commando and Starblazer and all these comics over the years. <laughs> this is the artist Ian Kennedy. And he's a man who has a career in illustration of all kinds. And this was the only time he'd ever drawn, stroke, painted Doctor Who. We see a beautiful picture here of, you know, maybe not anatomically, anatomically correct Daleks with Tom Baker's iconic Doctor there oh. in the title. It's a, a sort of a gentle, gentle colours, I think, a gentle colour palette. And this artist, you know, he's worked on... So many iconic properties. You know, I think I associate him more with Commando than anything else, all, all that military stuff. Mm. And I'd always wanted to see him do more Doctor Who. And it turns out he did. During the lockdown, he created one extra Doctor Who artwork. I'm about to show it to you now, everybody. This was a special commission. So, again, thank you to Chris Wright for letting us show this. Uh, Mark oh. Wright, sorry. So this is a... Oh, it is watercolour. A second mm. piece, yes, by by Ian by Ian Kennedy. Oh. So this is the fourth Doctor, but in a in a um, I'd say a a more aged, suggested, yeah, form aged. I think yeah, a slightly more iconic. It's that silhouette. Mm. I'm, I'm stumbling over my words. That's what it is, everybody. It's the silhouette that we all talk about, isn't it, Ian? It's the mm. man with the long coat, the long scarf. Yep. Hmm. What's he holding in his hand? An umbrella, by the looks of it, and keys. It looks like an umbrella, doesn't it? Yeah, keys, I don't know what it is. Yeah, stuff. keys and umbrella. Be a walking stick. 
Could be a walk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you said, JT. The age. Maybe, maybe it's the um, it's it's the um, what uh, the, the curator from the fifties. Oh, maybe. Who knows, okay. eh? Who knows? I thought that was a beautiful image to, to close out on something that makes a mm. statement. Uh, this silhouette, you know, regardless of what showrunners do or don't do, these images, they stay with the public. They can't be touched. And they are standards that will, that will carry on over the decades when Doctor Who does get reinvented, wherever it gets reinvented, be it in print mm. or on on whatever kind of screen that, that they consume entertainment on in the future. This is what's important. The, the man with the box, whether he's in a scarf, he's usually wearing a coat of some description, but there he is. There's, there's the doctor. There's our doctor. And the, that's the, that's a nice warm. Is image that a real painting, Dan? Yeah. Is yeah. Yeah. It's watercolor. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah, nothing, yeah. it's not done on. I love watercolor. I, I think, I think that crinkling doubloon's correct. It's a Perigosto stick. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> We have a comment here from the great prophet Zarquan, who says, hello, uh, hello, everybody. I'm sorry I'm a little, I'm a bit late. Had a terrible time. All sorts of things cropping up cropping at the up last nice moment. Way. How are we for time? But I've got some good, we're Brilliant. out of time, prophet Zarquan. <laughs> we're all out of time. But the good news is that through the uh, the miracle of YouTube, you can go back and watch the entire stream. Now you can hit <laughs> replay and catch everything that you missed. I want to thank Push Chris the bar back. Here and Kendall for coming on earlier on to tell us about their exciting new project. All the links that you will need to get in touch if you do have that skill set that Chris is looking for, I'll make sure they're in the description of the video and in the show notes of the podcast for you too. And yeah, thanks for being here watching Type 40 Live again in our new time slot. I think we've gone later than ever this time. Had a brilliant show. Hope you've all enjoyed it too. But just in case you're wondering, just in case this was your first show, because people are finding it all the time. You can go back and watch the rest of this. Of course, you can or watch it all over again. If you Look at those watch. beauties. I, and the, can I just, before you carry on, I'm going to interrupt you. Look at those graphics. Now, Dan works so hard on these graphics. Don't they look gorgeous, everybody? Fabulous. Get Fabulous. lost. What says at the bottom there? <laughs> that, was, that was a good show as well. Thank yeah. you so much, JT, for that. Over 30 other live streams most of them clocking in at two hours for you to get lost in enjoy our conversations <laughs> our banter sometimes sometimes our arguments and our guests and all the wonderful comments from everybody that watches along in the chat because it we really don't is argue two, we thing. just we discuss heavily <laughs> we love what you've got to say what else what else is on the channel let me yeah we've got the podcast of course we have the type 40 podcast itself stream or download us type40.podbean.com we're on Spotify, TuneIn, Google Play Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher lots of other podcatchers and more being added all the time here on YouTube of course, the world's largest It's madness platform. isn't it, it's a total madness it's carpets, it's madness, madness carpets Comment, comment, comment The comment yeah. sections, you're right Ian, the comment sections have been really really lively, particularly over the last mm. three or four weeks, lots of big ideas from, from everybody that watches a lot yeah. really imaginative ideas and some people have the nerve to disagree with us JT <laughs> but we appreciate it though when you comment <laughs> comment as much as you can because we appreciate it definitely we sincerely do on the things that you don't like the things that you like hey, hey. i was wondering when i was going to come back <laughs> Ooh, the pretty picture oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, take a bow take a bow yeah based everybody and yes yeah, but yeah thank you everybody who's been with us for this live stream more next time as we head up could you believe it's the autumn 
Darker Nights, everybody. The show will, yeah, we're going to continue with the format, try some new things going forward. But yeah, meet us back here again next the same time next week. I think we're all getting a little tired. Thanks for staying up with us this late. Simon, <laughs> JT, Ian, Charlotte, Chris McEwen, <laughs> everybody else that's been watching along, along in the chat. Leave your messages. Don't forget to like the video, subscribe to the channel, hit the close to Hi, Facebookers. Bye. Good night. Thanks for everybody. Shows are a blast to make. We'll be putting more of them out too here on the Type 40 feed. But if you want to catch Type 40 live, literally live, join in with the comments on YouTube and Facebook and wherever. Head over to YouTube, search for The Space Book, and there we are. Subscribe to the channel and turn on the little cloister bell. Then you'll get all the notifications on when we'll be live streaming next. We always have the time. If you have the space here at Type 40, thanks for listening. More soon. Take care. Bye bye. A Doctor Who podcast is a space book production for the Fandom Podcast Network with music by Problem Being.